Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. I just wanted to put a little trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, I guess. Um, <laughs> I It's about 16 and recovering. I cry a lot. It's an upsetting and sad topic, and there's a lot of talk about addiction and death and depression and mental health stuff. So if that is really upsetting to you, I would suggest just skip this episode. Just skip this one. Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to remind you all that I have a Patreon. It is called Liz Explains It All. You can find it on patreon.com slash Liz Explains. I particularly wanted to plug it today because it's you'll be hearing this on the fourth of the month, and it's always good to sign up for Patreon at the beginning of the month. I have a billion episodes on there. When you sign up, you'll have access to one billion episodes, including my most recent episode, which is an interview with the YouTuber Smokey Glow. It was so good. It went so well. And if you are interested at all in YouTube and like the meta topics of YouTube and what it's like to be a YouTuber and make money on YouTube, definitely come on down to my Patreon. Liz explains it all. You can find it on my, the link in my Instagram bio. So with that, Hi, princess. Hi, Liz. Uh, so I, I told you guys that I would do a 16 and recovering roundup, just like on the sh- episodes. Karen and I talked about the first episode pretty extensively, and then I just like briefly talked about the second, and then I haven't talked about the third and fourth yet. So I figured since Teen Mom was very boring this week. Uh, Is it not boring? I mean, it's always boring, but sometimes like something will happen that I feel like I can't skip. Okay. Like, maybe. I I don't know. We like, could just, like... Like, if Kale's mom popped up, I feel like I would want to cover that. I know, but, like, far be it from me to, like, <laughs> be, like, fuck the genesis of your, like, the concept of your entire show. Thanks. But, like, we could talk about Kale Next and Kale's week. mom For regardless. sure. For sure. We definitely could. I just mean, like, I don't know, or, like, the episode where Janelle pulled the gun. Like, that's okay. crucial viewing. Like, it happens once every four years, and it could have been this episode. It wasn't going to be, but it could Yeah. Have been. Ryan driving. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, when they do the screen where they're, like, giving you the warnings about not to beat your dog or pull crazy, guns. crazy, because they didn't. Like, what is this even for? Same. Nothing's gonna happen. They and didn't it, put that in the previews at all. I no. remember, and I happened to be watching it live that week, which I never, ever, ever do. And I was like, why did they put that up? Mackenzie's going to get her wedding dress. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know what I thought was gonna happen? I thought Mackenzie and Ryan were gonna get in a fight and like it was gonna get like verbally, you know, yeah, like, intense verbally. And so that's why they're, you know, you know how they do the domestic violence stuff. Uh-huh. I never thought I was gonna see what I saw. No, exactly. So, you know, these things happen, not often, but they do. And since it didn't happen this week, <laughs> <laughs> I figured we can just talk about 16 Recovering as a series. Now, as you all know, I... I will be crying in this episode. That's part of the reason I wanted Princess to come on because I feel like, Princess, you are somebody that, first of all, I just love to talk to. You haven't been on Feathers <laughs> in My Hair in a while. I, I love to chat with you. Um, second of all, you are somebody that has a good understanding, I think, of troubled kids, which lead to troubled teens. Troubled yeah. kids are fucked up, but whatever. <laughs> That's where my brain is right now. Um, 
and you're a little less emotional than me and I needed somebody well, who I, could I like just, hold my hand as I cry. You're, it's not that you're less emotional, but like I'm somebody that cries a lot and you're not somebody that cries a lot on your podcast. You've only done I it once just, that I can remember. I just was like, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, I agree to everything. I'm supposed to record with with uh Troy tomorrow and so then I started watching because I wasn't watching it and I was like what the fuck did Liz get me into way to bring the mood down when we're all really excited because Trump got COVID to be fair I asked you before Trump got COVID well so what I'm watching today I'm just quietly thinking about how it'd be how awesome it'd be if he died and how then crazy I'm also, would it be if he died and like i just like casually die. put this episode out on sunday <laughs> he's not gonna die i know he's not gonna he die has access to the best health care in the world he's, he's gonna be gonna he's gonna be tired for like four days and then he'll be totally well he's going to the that, hospital i know but i i think yeah. they're just making him go there i think so too it's gonna be fine he's not gonna die and I want to be clear that, like, if he gets reelected, which I personally think he will be because of me too, wh- where we live, we live in America. I but if he, he gets reelected and something happens to him, Mike Pence being our president is really bad. Is really bad because Mike Pence <laughs> knows what he's doing. Okay, no. he's fairly competent. No, and here's my thing so i was reading today this washington post article about what happens if the nominee dies this close to an election and the conclusion of the washington post article was like we don't have a fucking clue we really have no answer for this and basically it becomes the like we're like the rnc could appoint will have to appoint a new nominee the thing is they won't be able to get new ballots made because a bunch of people have already voted and it would be almost impossible to get new ballots made for every state so the ballot will definitely say the same and i think it's unlikely that the rnc would have anybody else that they could all agree to nominate that quickly besides pence like i don't i don't know who it could be yeah um it just like to me there's no obvious you know what I mean? Like if this, if it was like 2000, I don't know. If 2000, it was a year ago. If it was like 2009 or 10 and, or 2012, it might not have been Joe Biden. Like they would have given it to Hillary. You know what I mean? They all would have like come together, but like Hillary's our nominee instead of Obama rerunning because he died. Yeah. Um, so I think that it would be Pence. I'm very curious about what would happen in this hypothetical situation, because I do think that if Trump's not, alive there is a strong contingent of like trump stands that i'm not sure if they'll be motivated to vote but there's well the the religious right pence is their hero they love him and they vote Mm -hmm. all the time anyway they are like the most steadfast voters ever the religious right Mm -hmm. so they're voting no matter what but then so those trump maga stands might not show up but then you have the host of never trump republicans and independents who might be very pleased to be able to vote Republican again. So I don't even know. It'd be crazy if that happened. It would be crazy. And I I text you today what actually I know will happen is that we will have to watch Ivanka Trump on TV for the rest (laughs) of our lives on a view like she's gonna be on fox news she'll be on the, the view. view just she, on the view. She, Why she'll not? be on the view and Why she'll not? say and, and she'll be megan mccain it's an unhinged everything will start with like my father used to say and then something her father absolutely never fucking said and you're like you're just making shit up they she would she would be doing like national memorials on his birthday and stuff and she would use that oh <sighs> 
to become, I mean, she, she'd run for president on it. She probably would. And she'd be like, I told my father on his deathbed, knowing damn that you weren't even there. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And at least Megan McCain is unhinged as it is, but at least her father does have like an incredible career and reputation. You know what I mean? Like, I don't agree. I actually didn't mind John McCain that much. And then he took a hard right turn when he ran for president in 2000, what year is that? 2008. Um, I, I don't particularly like John McCain, but nobody can deny that he is a like decorated His veteran. Resume. He has he a was, resume. He was in United States Congress for many, many, many years. He was extremely influential in his position. He ran for president. Like there's, yeah, there, you can't take that away from him. So at least Megan McCain, her father like does have me, like does mean something. So Ivanka would be 10 times crazier. I know. And we would have to watch her all the time. And you know how a pretty white girl can really just do what she wants. Anything she wants. AKA is much Leah, prettier than Megan. AKA honest. Leah. Leah's doing <laughs> like you can get away if you're pretty and kind of and mostly harmless. You can you yeah. can do what you want, okay? And absolutely. So, so I'm like, I so I'm thinking about this today, you guys. I started a new job. I started this week. I refuse to talk about politics with anyone. I work with a lot of old white men. And one of them says something to me about, he, he said, oh, so you're gearing up for the election? And I said, what do you think I'm doing for the election? And he just looked at me and I said, yeah, let's not talk about it so we can stay friends. <laughs> said, okay. And then I was thinking, like, oh why would you even engage me in that conversation? You don't even know me. And we don't need to be mortal enemies on the second day of work. <laughs> like, but so I, I'm like trying, and also I'm not really on Twitter and Instagram right now. I noticed. Just like taking a break. I do check. I just, I don't really, I don't, I don't really know what to say about anything. I feel like everything I said have said everything I've I could say has been said I don't have anything new to add to any of the conversations um the only thing like I don't want to be on Twitter all the time watching people tweet about how they're gonna leave the country and most of them aren't and the ones that can cool are you gonna wave to us from the fucking plane as we have to stay here like awesome I'm so happy you have the ability to like that's like me being like to a bunch of starving people just gonna head over to mcdonald's to get <laughs> those new spicy nuggets like I okay <laughs> i know i i did notice you weren't on twitter because i tweeted something that i cannot remember what it was n- now and i was like i was like why isn't princess responded to this and i was like <laughs> oh that bitch is taking a twitter break like I am. it was like something i'm sure very stupid and if it meant anything i would have texted you but i do remember thinking like oh she must be on a twitter break because she didn't respond to this yeah oh and also so before we get talking about this mm-hmm. liz i would like to confront you about <laughs> not only have you got me watching this 16 and recovering you are the reason i was watching the good fight the good fight oh. is terrible <laughs> it's it is silly. terrible it's it silly all about trump all day every day <laughs> that fake melania they had on oh there? that was the cra- i forgot about that episode that episode was wild <laughs> There's an episode where Di- where Diane is in bed with Trump, <laughs> arguing with him. And when I text you, it's like I have no knowledge of that. <laughs> did you get to the new 
the most, did you finish it? Like, are you caught up? I couldn't do it. I had to let it go. And I'm a completionist. I, okay. I no, you need it. <laughs> There's one, the first episode of the new season is an alt reality where she wakes up I and Hillary it. is one. And that was kind of interesting. I don't know. It's, it's just silly and stupid. I like it. I don't, I don't mind it though. I am not the person who's like in the reviews going, this is too political. I, I never thought I would agree with that. But I was like, this is too much. <laughs> Why is every episode named after Trump? Like the, fir- the pilot is called Inauguration. Yeah. And then all the episodes are named, not all of them, but for the first two seasons, they're named after his, um, what day in office he's in. It was, <laughs> he's in the opening credits. Trump is in the opening credits. <laughs> I forgot about that. And I definitely told you it wasn't that political because in yes. my memory, the first season's about the white collar Bernie Madoff knockoff. Like, it was... I guess I just blocked all that out. <laughs> Monty was... also agreed with me though. She said it was silly and not that political. So both of us, I guess, just like blacked out while watching it. <laughs> Diane falling in with those anarchists who are I like that. Who then who then like black the people? Yeah, I like that. that Diane's was husband got shot by Eric Trump. I know. <laughs> well, he deserved it. <laughs> I had to, and I'm someone who finishes everything, even if I hate it. And I just remember one night turn going, and it's like, well, it's time for me to turn on the good fight, and just looking at the remote, being like, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. And I said, you're right. I don't have to. I'm not going to. And I here's told the thing for me. Here's something to know about me and my TV watching that if I like the characters, mm-hmm. I can put up with a lot from a show. And I really like the characters on The Good Fight. Me too. The reason that I stopped liking The Good Wife is because I stopped liking the characters. Like I stopped caring about the character. Once I'm like done with a character, I'm kind of done with the show and I can't tolerate a lot of it. But like, if the show is characters I like, I don't even need a plot. Like one of my favorite shows of all time is Treme from HBO, which truly had no plot for four seasons. <laughs> it was just people talking and like walking around New Orleans playing music. If you've never yeah. seen Treme, you should absolutely watch it. It's a beautiful, incredible show that really has no plot, but I just Post love Katrina, the Katrina, New Orleans, right? Yeah, it's, it's really good. You, it's a really good like character study. It, I mean, it's David Simon who did The Wire. It's- yeah. I love it. But like, I get, if I like the characters, I can watch. And I guess that's how I get through the good fight because I like the characters. Well, it has all the parts. It's like mayonnaise. I hate mayonnaise. I won't even let mayonnaise touch me. Okay. Um, like if my husband uses a knife to spread mayonnaise, he knows he also has to clean that knife or I will leave it in the sink until he cleans it. Cause I cannot interact with mayonnaise, <laughs> but mayonnaise is made of eggs, oil, I think that's pretty much it. Some seasoning. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I like eggs. I like oil. I like seasoning, but I don't like mayonnaise. And sure. so that's the good, good fight. fight. Fair. I, I love all the characters. Di- Diane's laugh. I think they yeah. realized Diane's laugh is so good. Like it's, the, the, she is good. I love the black law firm. Mm-hmm. I love all of that stuff. I loved every, every piece. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that too. I like that too. I too am liberal, liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it came all together. I was like, no, I don't want this. I, that's fair. Okay. Let's talk about 16 and recovering. Okay. Um, because you know, we're the old ladies that like love a CBS procedural, but <laughs> no offense else does. Oh, so 16 recovering, if you guys don't know, takes place at this school, a high school called North Shore Recovery High, I believe is the name of it. It is outside of Boston. 
is my understanding. I don't know exactly where it is. Somewhere in the Boston, greater Boston area. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a recovery high school, which they are not the only recovery high school. Recovery high schools are a thing. Like they're definitely a thing. I had heard of them, um, but they're still newish and they're all pretty experimental. And this is just some, I don't think MTV went. I read that like a production company went and then MTV bought the rights, which I think yes. makes sense based on how it's shot and edited. It feels very un MTV. Yes. And also they, I, I was reading the Vulture article about it and they were saying that they, they had reached out to HBO, Netflix, which are, you know, those type of places mm-hmm. want something like this. Would have been good but on MTV HBO. was the most excited about it. And that the thing that gave everyone pause is when MTV was like, we're going to call it 16. And, and they were like, wait, <laughs> they're like, no, no, we don't want to be part of that series. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, I think the production company was, was basically like our content stands for itself just because yes. we're, I mean, yeah, it, it was smarter than to call it 16 and recovering, to be honest. They wanted people to see it. Here's my thing. I think the thing that sucks is because it's on MTV and because it's called 16 and recovery twofold. One, MTV is a dead network. There, nothing relevant is on MTV. Nothing relevant comes from MTV. Um, I think this could have been seen by a lot more people if it was on HBO or Netflix first. If it was on Netflix, we, it would have been trending on Twitter. Exactly. Or even HBO. I feel like people watch HBO because they have HBO subscriptions through like Amazon or Hulu or whatever. You know what I mean? Like people more watch people stuff on HBO. just have a plain Netflix subscription yes. than those that have HBO. For sure. For sure. Uh, but I like, I'm, I'm just saying like, I think on HBO at least could have been talked about more. Mm-hmm. Um, MTV is just so dead and so irrelevant. And I think, I remember when they announced this and a lot of people in like the team on subreddit were like, this is so gross. It's so exploitative, exploitative. Um, I think the <laughs> title turned a lot of people off that like are aware of what the like 18 people that still watch MTV, you know what I mean? They're like aware yeah. of the 16 pregnant series. I think automatically assumed it would be more like 16 and pregnant. And it's not, it's not exploitative. It's so honest. It's so real. These kids get to tell their stories. I immediately, as soon as I saw the preview, I was like, oh, this is great. And I think it's really important for teenagers to be able to tell their stories. Like we are in an opiate epidemic do I understand that it, this will then follow them around? For sure. But the reality it's, is this is their drug addiction. Right. So it was going to follow them around. Yeah, like, exactly. It, I, I also think that 16 and pregnant does, uh, you know, we always make fun of the way it starts. It's like, hi, I'm so-and-so <laughs> and I'm a cheerleader and I'm in love with my boyfriend. And thank God we are because we're having a baby. Yeah. Like if it had started off with, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm a cheerleader and I love my life except for heroin. Like that, yeah. I think it would have been very different. It would have been different. I liked, we didn't have any set up scenes. We rarely yeah. left the school. Um, we weren't, see- like on, there was no like mom and daughter talk about where the daughter's going to live, even though they already know, you know what I, they're, yep. they, it didn't have the fakeness that 16 and pregnant has. Even the most real episodes of 16 and pregnant are very set up and feel very set up. And in 16 recovery, they just kind of drop you in and each episode follows two people. I will say, I kind of wish that it followed three or four students through all four episodes. I think 
because they pop up again in other episodes, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's a very small school. But I think I would have liked to see it like a year in the life of these three teens. Okay. I think that the most compelling part about this is that they are talking to us not as adults that came in to interview them as but as peers mm-hmm. and so i've talked about this before when i was in high school i went to scared straight <laughs> scared straight is not just a visit to a prison it is an actual program you have to go to to defer your juvenile <laughs> your juvenile charge so that you can not have to go to juvenile detention or doing that sort of stuff mm-hmm. it's like it's like nine weeks a program for nine weeks oh wow and these um kids when they're talking when they're just like gosh i forget her name it might be alba because she's the yeah. cheerleader mm-hmm. she's just like well i've been doing a lot of coke lately yeah. <laughs> it's like, i know it's uh, yeah it's very it's direct right. and it's not like hedging it's not like the way you would talk to your probation officer or your mom mm-hmm. it's just really like yeah i did a lot of coke some benzos so <sighs> i'm gonna fail I this we'll say that interesting i The reason it's like that is because that's what it's like when you're in rehab or you're in a recovery program. Like you just openly talk. Yeah. You just, I remember like during intake, they just, you just like go through all of the drugs you do, like how often you do them. Like you talk about drugs, like, well, yeah, when I did crack, there's not like, well, that time. And I did, you know what I mean? Like there's no, you just talk about it and they really captured that. I think you're exactly right. They captured that very well. Hey guys, sorry for the awkward interruption, but you know, if I have a guest on, I always forget to pause for a break. So we'll be right back. They're not shocked at all. And at one point, so they ask Alba, she's taking her test and you know, her um, test. Yeah. And she's they're like, are you high now? She's like, no, I'm not high now, but I wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, that that's very honest. And I honestly think that's what you are reacting to, that these are definitely people you could know. These are people you could have gone to rehab with. You could be in the rooms with. These are, these kids are absolutely your people. I don't, I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. For example, this girl I know in Florida, I'm talking with my eyes closed right now because I think that's going to help me not cry. This girl I know in, know from Florida posted just like a on Facebook, just like an album of people that she knows that have died. And I was just like clicking through and I was like, yeah, yeah. Because we went to rehab together. So we know a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't think about it that often, but like when I do think about how many people that I know have died in the last six years. Because before I came into the recovery, I didn't know anybody that died for drug overdose. I didn't know a single person because everybody I hung out with was like a cokehead or drank too much or like did some pills, but like weren't heroin addicts except for my ex-boyfriend. You know, like I wasn't hanging out with other addicts like that. So I didn't know anybody that died before I came into recovery. And then when I was in rehab, somebody died. And then I remember being so upset and somebody was like, I've known like, this is like the 30th person that I've been in rehab with that died. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh. And then like that, well, first of all, the person that told me that is dead. For <laughs> Just to start out with, the person who told me that is dead. Um, and I just like clicking through that photo album, 
even people that I didn't know that well, but like they lived in a halfway house with one of my other friends. And you I'm like, the oh, sight. I'm like, oh fuck, she's dead too. Like she, they're dead. Liz, it's she's like being dead. in a war. It, you know, literally. It's like it's literally. like if if you go if you do five fucking tours of duty, you are going to know a lot of dead people, and. Uh, and when you get together with people with similar experiences, you might know the same dead people mm-hmm. because, um, you know, that's just what it is. Well, when I did the Philly intervention episode on my, uh, Patreon, I looked up one of the girls that was on there and we had three mutual friends on Facebook and they were all dead. Like, yeah. the, like we had three mutual friends, which I was not surprised about because they're in Philly. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not what... a huge recovery. You live in a suburb of Philly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like all over the area, like if somebody's a drug addict within like an hour and a half for me that has been in and out of recovery, we most likely have a mutual Facebook friend because early in recovery, you just thought everyone, you know, like, um, so I looked her up, I think her name's Amanda and we had, I was like, Oh, we have three mutual friends. Then I looked and they were all dead. You and add was- everyone in early recovery because these are people who, you know, and who are going through the same thing you're going. Yeah. Through. And you know, what's sick. I don't, I, for the most part, I don't unfriend people, even if they're like awful, racist, disgusting. What I do is I unfollow them because I need to be able to look at their profile when they die. That's my, like, that is my reality. Like I was talking with my, uh, one of my best friends, Alana, about this. I was like, well, yeah, I can't unfriend him in case he dies. And she was like, yeah. I was like, I just unfollow him. And she was like, that's what I do too. Like we... (laughs) It is heartbreaking. That's um, my reality that like, I can't unfriend people on Facebook because I'm scared they're going to die and I won't be able to see anything about it. Like that's fucked up. I mean, it is, but a lot of things are fucked up. I think, so for you, you were very emotional watching this because this, this is very home. It hits, it hits home to you. You could know any one of these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have been really happy with any one of these kids. Yeah. And for me, it's very hard to watch this type of stuff because like most of the things I come into contact with, with children through my mm-hmm. fostering and advocacy is that is 10 years later, you know? Yeah. And there is no answer for it. There's no mm-hmm. fix for it. There is no, I think people watching this show were very unhappy with what they think, what they deem a lax school environment. Mm-hmm. But what you don't understand yeah, when you have that. ongoing behavioral problems, drug problems, mental illnesses, that that get tough and get super tough only works for someone who can do it, mm-hmm. all right? So it only works mm-hmm. for, even if you're, like, if you're a parent listening to this and you're like, well, if my kid did this, I would just take away everything he owns and do this and this. It would only work if he could do what you asked him to do. But once you're in active addiction, like, people would just stop using if it was that easy. They just stop. Yeah. Because who wants to be a drug addict? Who wants to, like, regular, so... When I think of my kids as teenagers, as they get older, I expect them to drink sometimes. I expect mm-hmm. them, I, I can't so imagine, that, yeah, get out of school without smoking weed. How could you? Yeah. I expect, so, but imagine being 16 and you can't even go to normal parties because there's going to be beer at normal parties mm-hmm. and you can't have any because it activates the reception in your brain that, that makes you go, I can have a little weed. You know what? Mm-hmm. I could go for some Coke. And then the next thing you know, you're on the streets like six yeah. weeks later. Because here's the thing. Once you, it's, 
I think people kind of that aren't aware of it maybe think of it as like you are like once you start you cannot stop and I do think that's true for a lot of people but I think like what really happens is you fuck up and you're like well I fucked it up so I might as well do the thing I actually want to do because like the (laughs) drinking's not like doing for me what I want to do so I may as well go get dope like and I already had a little I already you know what I told my clean time's gone Yeah. yeah So I might as well, if my clean time's gone, I might as well make it worth it. Which is actually a big argument for harm reduction, right? And why we're moving away from an abstinence-only model. Um, But for me, the reason that I choose to say 100% abstinent is because I fear that I will be that person that starts drinking and starts smoking. And then like once I, like then why would I say no? to the rest of it. Like, exactly. Why, why would I say no? Would it, I think it would probably take me a while. Um, and it's, I think it'd be unlikely for me to do heroin again. What I really think would happen, it would be like, I would smoke weed all day. Then I would start getting blackout drunk. Then would come Xanax and Adderall. And like, okay. it would be this, like, it wouldn't be good though. You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't because- be like recreational. Like it would be, I would just be in like a pit of despair. And I do understand why the abstinence only model doesn't work for a lot of people, but for a lot of us, it's like, we can't just have a beer and then not want to do the thing that we really want to do. Yeah. But from what my understanding Liz, of your recovery addiction is that heroin, you did heroin, but you had a very, like you said, you had a very shallow bottom, but heroin isn't your big drug. It really isn't. Adderall. So (laughs) what's your, it, it's hard to explain because like, if you asked me what drug I liked to do the best and like felt the best, the answer is heroin, like mm-hmm. hands down. Absolutely. A hundred percent heroin. I used, I was convinced that this is how sick I was. I would have conversations with my friend about this when we would drive to cop. I was convinced that my only issue was not having enough money so that I never got dope sick. And that if I won the lottery and I could just be on heroin all the time, all the time, I could just, well, I've actually seen people in recovery, like come into windfalls uh, from like settlements and shit. It's, it's scary. You would, Um, yeah. But I don't think I'd be talking to you if you had won the lottery. No, in early recovery. No, 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 no. Um, but like, I, I really thought like my, the only thing heroin that was bad about it was like that I was, I would get sick. And like, if I could just never get sick, like I would be fine living the rest of my life doing it all day long. Like that's really how I felt on it, which is really insane. So out of everything I liked best, like, yeah, I liked heroin best, but out of what was like my biggest problem, it was Adderall, Xanax and weed. Like I would, Xanax would be like an, when I could get it, when I couldn't, but like multi-day blackouts, like really, really bad. Adderall was just like a 10 year long binge. And then weed was from when I was 17, eight times a day, every day of my life until I became a heroin addict and couldn't afford to buy weed anymore. So those are like my biggest issues. For for heroin, but it was there that you realized that it was the Adderall and the weed and the Xanax that was really driving. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Because yeah. when you I mean, went I to knew, rehab, like I you knew, did. but I wouldn't like admit it out loud. Like I'd right. be, like, I would like with a straight face be like, well, I have to say on my Adderall. Like I don't abuse Adderall, but like I, I did. And I would, I had told doctors about my abuse in the past. Like it's, it's hard to explain 
explain because it's so irrational. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, it, it doesn't make sense because it didn't make sense. But yeah, I went to rehab because I was like dope sick on heroin and I could no longer function as a heroin addict. Um, but I could function as a Xanax weed Adderall addict, uh, plus like a blackout drinker when I did drink, uh, just not very well. And it didn't feel very good. <laughs> like my life was not very good, but like I was functioning. Liz, it's a multi-day blackout sounds terrifying. Um, yeah, it is. I specifically remember once sitting in the car with my friend that I would get heroin with because I only had one friend that I did it with. And that was your the most boy- boyfriend's friend, my boyfriend's friend. And he said something about, remember when we were like waiting at McDonald's the other day, cause we'd like wait it's specific, in this one specific McDonald's parking lot actually. And I was like, no, I was like, we, I didn't see you the other day. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was mm-hmm. like, I mean, like I did not, he's like, Liz, you did. And I was thinking about it. I was like, well, it's Wednesday. And the last time I remember copying is Friday. And I can't go Friday to Wednesday without copying, which means like I did pick up sometime between Friday and Wednesday. And I don't remember. I don't remember it. I don't remember it. And then eventually when I got fired from the job that I was working, um, this is the one with the, the auto loan place. Uh-huh. So the, the temp agency went and like took all the stuff out of my desk and I went there to get my stuff, I guess. I have no memory of that. And I remember like a week later being like, I never went and got my stuff. And then I was like, that's my stuff. Like I was like looking at it in my room and I was like, I have it here. But like, like I don't have that's any memory of like, get, like I remember holding my glasses that I knew I left at my desk at work because I like to leave a pair of glasses at work and being like, well, these can't, you know what I mean? Like they had to come from my desk because this, yeah. I left these at work, but I don't remember at all getting them. So Liz, I know it sounds crazy to say I was functioning on that, but, but I was in a way. As someone who enjoys being right though, how are you going to have an argument about something if you can't even know, if you don't even know that you were there? Um, because by that point it was like, as long as I felt good, it didn't matter. Nothing else okay. mattered. But I was just like, as someone I, I know, like you so enjoy different. arguing on the internet, that stresses me out. And I did see a tweet that you were saying that, or someone had mentioned that uh, people who have ADHD or ADD enjoy, like it gives them a dopamine spike on, yeah. on the internet. Yeah. And you were like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my God, arguing on the internet stresses me the fuck out and you're like yeah i'm into that and i'm just imagining you like having oh. an argument and being like no i don't remember it but yeah <laughs> i mean yeah I that that literally happened and people would like screenshot the tweet i sent and been like you said this bitch and, like nothing like offensive but i would like forget that i offended like nothing bad you know what i mean like nothing actually bad i just like would be like oh i hate her like about someone and i was like i don't know why she doesn't like me <laughs> Yeah, that shit happened. So yeah, I think you're very right that it just feels so real and familiar to me, obviously, which is why it like flips me out so much to watch. Like, mm-hmm. as I talked about on this podcast, after I watched the third episode, like I cried like I have not cried in years. Like I was distressed. Like that's you know what I mean? I wasn't just upset. Like, I don't think upset 
describes how I feel. I was distressed because I knew somebody was going to die. First of all, all week people have been like, oh my God, six year recovery was so sad. And I was like, don't spoil me. But in the first episode, they show a preview where it's so obvious that somebody died. So like, I knew it was coming and I just like, I just was so upset the whole episode. And then in this final episode, I was pretty upset. Like, I don't, they say repeatedly in this show, like you are close to death. And I think that's probably very hard for people that are not in addiction recovery spaces to like fully comprehend. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, they say that in recovery, like that is a common a mm-hmm. thought in recovery. They, they let you know that you are close to death. And what's the main chick's name again? Uh, the, the school. The oh my God. School. I just, Michelle. Michelle. Michelle is like having conversations with, I, I don't want to live in a world without you. Yeah, I'm afraid so you're going to die. So calmly. She's like, well, you know, if you do that, you're going to die. Like, yeah. because it's a fact, which I think is, I mean, I think that that that's the powerfulness of this show. I think like how, like I said, just how raw it was. Um, I think Michelle, how frankly she spoke with the students like that. Yeah. I think was very powerful. Um, I remember in the first episode being pleasantly surprised with how they treated relapse. And I was, throughout this whole series, I was actually pleasantly surprised with how they handled recovery in general because they didn't seem to be an abstinence only model. You know what I mean? Like they met kids where they were. And like in this last episode, one of them like has a really bad relapse on Xanax and calls like another student and the student brings them in to the school and the school can get them into detox. Like they come to school high asking for help. Um, And I think that that goes against what people who aren't in recovery understand of recovery and like addiction treatment. Um, I don't think they realize like <laughs> how little they actually know about treatment and helping people. Sure. Um, and I, I mean, it's I just, in the name, it's called treatment, but it, it's not treatment because it doesn't work for most people. Well, the, let's, the, I believe she's, I could be wrong about the person they're talking to, so I won't even say, but she's explaining, he's like, I'm just tired of fucking up. And she's like, where well, you're going to fuck up 20 times and you have to just keep doing it. And I think that people, a lot of people, one, don't understand that relapse is a part of the recovery process. It is a step. <laughs> like, I know. I do want to clarify. Relapse can be a part. Can be. I, can think, be, it's, sorry. I think it's Not important. everybody does it. But the, but the phrase you said is the right phrase as far as what people say, but I think the can in there is very important. It's important because you're because right. Not everyone does. Not I everyone does it. Yeah. Since like trying it, to get sober. It like, was very real. like you like going to rehab once and being sober, like you did that. Mm-hmm. But tons of people get don't. sober. Most 95% of people don't. And they relapse and then they get sober. Like there are people that have been getting sober for 20 years, guys. Literally. Uh longer. I regularly hear people in AA share that they started coming to AA in like 1984 and they'll have like eight months. Yeah, because it's it is, I mean, you don't always have to do it, but it is a part, it is a stage of recovery is the yeah. relapse part. And so well, it's really hard not to do drugs when you're a yeah. drug addict or alcoholic. And the it's alternative, really so, hard. <laughs> I, I saw people tweeting about this saying that like, 
you know, people getting people like if you relapse in that school and you don't, and they still let you stay there, and there's no consequences. But the thing is, is that if the the consequence, if the consequences are fucking life. Yeah, and their whole life is a fucking consequence. If you threw out everyone who relapsed, no one could be there. Like, let, let I really want to talk about that. So, first of all, all almost all of these kids have extreme trauma. They yeah. all have parents that are addicts. They all have many of them had a dead parent via addiction. Um, they didn't talk that much about sexual abuse, but a lot of them alluded sure. to it. Um, some of the kids were in like the foster care system and group homes. Yeah. Um, they, the, a lot of them lived with a grandparent, like the trauma yeah. that these kids had is the consequence, you know, like throwing them out is just like, that doesn't help with anything. And I understand that instinct to be like, there must be consequences for their behavior. But like, when you're not an addict, you don't understand that. Like when you're an active addiction, like every moment of your life is a crushing consequence. Like every second that you are awake, like I describe it as I feel like, I felt like I was being slowly smothered by a pillow every moment of the day. Like, just like, you know, like it's like you, (laughs) so it's just, consequences don't work. If they worked, people would get sober in jail. If consequences right. work, they get sober the first time they went to rehab. They would get sober the first time their parents caught them. The yeah. whole point of being an addict is that you get fucked up despite the consequences. That's what an addiction is. Yeah. Is that you don't is that you will negatively hurt you will hurt yourself to continue to do this thing that has been proven to give you negative consequences. Yo, if you've been dope sick in your life and you get sober and then you get high again, like you don't give a fuck about consequences. <laughs> yeah. like, there is truly no greater con well, maybe. Uh, coming off methadone cold turkey is apparently supposed really? to be the absolute worst because it has such a long half-life that uh, detox takes like a month if you get oh off of God. a high dose. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. The feeling, so you feel dope sick for like a month? A month. And that's, that, oh I was just reading somebody in, I don't know, some group I'm in and they tapered down and they were like, I'm about five weeks in, like, when's my head going to clear? Like methadone is so hard to come off of. And if you get arrested and you're on a high methadone level, oh. they just put you in jail and you have to come off. And like most people jump off methadone under 25 milligrams and they take like a year to step down to that. Uh, like this kid I knew, got, he said he got put in jail on like 150 milligrams a day of methadone. And he just like, did. he's like, I didn't get out of bed for six weeks. Like I just laid in that bed for six weeks. Like, yeah. But, like, if consequences worked, like, I would have never done heroin again after the first time that I kicked it because it was the worst feeling that I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. And yet, a month later, I did it again. Yeah. See, so I have, through foster adoption, I have kids with behavioral issues and who have, um, I don't, mental illness is not the word. But they learning they, disabilities, behavioral issues. Yeah, um, yeah. I think disorders. both of those things. Yeah, they have those types of things. And so often, people who do not like walk in my shoes will be like, "Well, this is what I would do," and I feel like that would not work because no. then that person, like grounding them and taking all their stuff, they would be like that for a year because yeah. they cannot. And once you've been grounded for once you've been grounded for like three weeks, you it's like look, whatever. 
Fuck yeah, it. it's whatever. And that's just your life. And the more time you spend by yourself, the more you're like, these people are unfair to me. They don't care about mm-hmm. me. Look, they just keep putting me in this room. They never give me anything. Look at all everyone else. They've gotten dessert and they're going here and they do not. Like, you really have to try different methods. And that's what Michelle is doing. Yeah. It just doesn't look right because you, because the person that's looking at this, you, you don't have this experience. I, I mean, I, I do feel conflicted. Enable, I do but, feel conflicted about the lack of maybe physical boundaries in that school. Uh, worries uh, me. What's the black guy's name? The big dude? Angel, maybe? Was that his I, name? I can't remember. I feel concerned about Angel because he mm-hmm. has not worked with teenagers before, troubled teenagers before. Mm-hmm. Oof, a physical he, fight could happen so easily. He is large. Uh-huh. And he's black. And a look, lot of yeah, these kids black. are white. I didn't All see, I life. saw some people of color. I saw no yeah. black people. No. Um, but I am saying that, like, when he was having that conversation about no respect, like, mm-hmm. he is technically right. But I felt like he was emotionally invested in that conversation in a way that you cannot be mm-hmm. in well, this school. But you are, and they all are, which is, they talk about this a lot in this show, is that Michelle is, like, so invested in this school personally, and, like, it is her life, and there are no boundaries. It's so hard, though, because, yeah, on one hand, I'm like, all it takes is one predator, like, coming in. You know what I mean? Like, And taking advantage of these kids who are in, who are the most vulnerable. But on the other hand, like, Michelle's the only person who tells these kids that she loves them. That's true. But when I talk about Angel being emotionally invested, emotionally invested in that conversation, I'm talking about his ego. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, why are you not respecting me? Like, yes, he, like he really he has, deserves it and should have it. Yeah, okay, that's yes. totally, and I, think I get that it. Yeah. If you get to that point, because they're going to disrespect you, Yeah. just like in rehabs and stuff, people mm-hmm. who go to rehabs are rule breakers. I'm sorry. So they're going to yeah. break your rules. <laughs> That's yeah. why they're here. Because <laughs> consequences don't matter. So, so why do they follow rules? Exactly. So you can't take that personally. And when the kid was like, I mean, all the kids curse, but that makes sense because that's a very thing. Why are we worried about that? When that kid was cursing at him and saying, you're making a big fucking deal out of this out of nothing. It's really not about you. That child was correct. It yeah. is not about you, Angel. He, yeah. is do- he is acting like that because his life is out of control. Even if he's sober right now, he is hanging on by his nails yeah and so sometimes when he's walking down the hall and you want him to do something he just doesn't he can't not he just he can't physically cannot yeah and there's a lot on him and so what we need from you is to enforce the rules but also to understand that a disrespect of the rules is not a personal attack on you Mm-hmm. And so he worries me and the fact that he's so big, which I'm sure is helpful when they need that. But, but when, you know what yeah. it reminds me of celebrity rehab. Remember when Carrie and Pranesh <laughs> through hit, uh, like was very disrespectful to that black nurse and kind of like pushed Vaguely. her or threw something at her, like a paper or something. And the black nurse ran and grabbed her and she ended up getting uh, fired. And the reason was, is because regardless of what Carrie Ann Panesh did in rehab, you know, she's mm-hmm. a rehab, she's a patient here, regardless of what she did, you cannot be physical with her. Yeah. Even though I felt like she deserved it. But, yeah. Yeah. but this is, I feel like, I'm not saying anything bad about Angel. I'm just saying my psychic eye, my third eye says that eventually we will have an issue where 
some where Angel can't work there anymore. Not because he's a bad person, but because something. Yeah. The other thing. So the other, you're right. Michelle is the only person that tells people like they don't hear they love from from like relatives from parents they the person that checks on you the person that asks did you eat today the person that asks do you have a place to go tonight Mm -hmm. the parents that showed up all looked like they had been through it like they had the hard like they had the hardest lives and i felt for them because i was like i mean um Liz, imagine, imagine like you, you can't even make your rent. Like you're scrunch- no. you can't make your rent. You've had a traumatic life yourself. Maybe you've had drugs in your past. You have this kid. You don't know how to help him. No. And by the time your kid gets to recovery high school, they've been to so many programs. Yes. They've gotten in so much trouble. It's just like the desperation, but not like the desperation that like feeds like an apathy Like, which sounds like a total paradox, but it's not. It's like you become so despondent to it not working that it's like, I want him to get better more than anything, but I cannot do anything for him and I cannot put my emotions here anymore. But this goes against every instinct that I have as a parent. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what the fuck to do. Cause you're right. Most of them were lower middle class. Yeah, this was not a money. This like, was not a moneyed place. Just living is hard. Like you have all this shit on you, just trying to get through the fucking day. Yeah, and here is this person that you love. Like I don't doubt any of those people's parents love. Don't love them. I don't doubt that at all. They all love them. They don't know how to help them. They're the kids are making the home dangerous for their other children. Yeah, and. And so they literally can't let that kid in the house because last time he was there, he passed out with a needle and one of the kids picked it up or something like that. Like the physical danger that unfortunately having a teen as a drug addict puts your other children in is real. You wake up and he's gone. What's that kid that was gone? The one with the curly hair? Um, oh yeah. What was it? I don't know. I can't remember. I'm sorry guys. I I can't remember a lot of their names. Yeah. So when we get to the part where he ran away for like five days. When we get to the part where Emily and her boyfriend, where Michelle is forcing Emily and her boyfriend, mm-hmm. who have ultrasounds, by the way, and just chick- walking around the hallways but haven't told their fucking parents that they both live with. They're just like, yeah, we're you having a baby. funny? Right before they announced that, because they were like all over each other in school, it's like, oh, those teenagers have a lot of sex. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I don't know if that's like a gross thing, but like, you know, when you just see like a teenage couple that's like 16 to 19 years old and you're like, oh yeah, I remember I always think to way. myself, like, those people think they invented sex. They think yeah. that they're, and they also think they're having the best sex of their lives, yeah. but they probably aren't. But, probably okay. not, but like, I remember that feeling of like me and my boyfriend in senior year of high school just being like we are so in love we are so sexually compatible like all we want to have do is have sex (laughs) but first of all this is how immature they are they're they haven't told their parents who they Mm -hmm. live with and then the the boy's like well it's a beautiful day outside so i don't okay man well to be fair they they hadn't told their parents because he had what seemed to be a two-parent stable house and she did not. She lived with her grandmother, I think. Um, she At one point, she lived with her dad and stepmom, but I heard them mentioning her grandmother in this. Her mom had mm-hmm. died of an overdose. Yep. And yep. she says, like, I don't really get why he's making me keep it a secret, but I understand that I don't get it because, like, I don't have that parent thing. Right. So when they call his parents, 
Michelle, and he just, and she just says, well, you just say this. Because that's another thing. So I have an 18-year-old stepkid who thinks they are a fucking adult. And they are not in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. Like, they fell and I had to, like, help them with their knees because they were crying. Oh. And things like, I don't know how, because I got to get my appointment. And yeah. I don't know how to make an appointment. I'm like, yeah, you just do this. They think they're an adult. But, so they're calling and she's and michelle's just like this is what you say but that parent was like okay yeah like, he goes, she he goes or is she she's like i can't really deal with this today i think yeah her like, answer. it's another <sighs> thing that's some it's real shit thing. like i can't like your drug addicted teen calls you to tell you that their girlfriend's pregnant and she their goes, drug addicted girlfriend so two she, drug addicts together goes, i can't deal with this today like maybe yeah. tomorrow maybe tomorrow imagine that and you it. you probably barely you know you probably barely make ends meet as it is and yeah. this one is talking about he's getting another one and you're just like and i'm sure if you talk to him he's like it's gonna be fine oh, i got a job like you're just like okay i was curious about emily because she's like my dad made me go to rehab for, for weed. weed and then i thought that they were going to go into and then at rehab, I met these people that did this. And because that happens for sure. Uh-huh. And they didn't talk about any other drugs she did. But I also did not get the impression that she was just in recovery for weed based on the way that Michelle was talking to her. No, I, but I think that like, maybe they just didn't get that footage. Yeah. And she also I, said every single traumatic thing that's happened to someone has happened to me. I was like, yeah. <sighs> You know what? I when I was talking about charm school on my podcast by Pumpkin, I did a um I did a bonus episode about charm school. And something I think you guys don't remember about these fun this isn't a funny reality TV show, but a lot of these other ones, there are 10 girls there. I was like, how many rapes do you think are in that room? How many my mom never loved me are in that room? How many molestations? How many drug issues are in that room? That's why they all cried when Monique talk softly to them yeah. because who talks softly nice to them yeah and i bet you people glom on to michelle because she's talking nicely to you and she cares about you and she thinks you might do something mm-hmm. she's she's telling you you could do something mm-hmm. i do i do have some questions that maybe you can answer because i'm like did i miss this does michelle have kids yeah that we see in the third episode with sean Mm-hmm. um where sean dies we see her at her house talking to her kids and she says you know i don't want my kids to be involved in this but when i get a call in the middle of the night of a student dying and i scream my kids hear it if i were one of her kids like we you talked to i remember you talked to kara and you talked about um just she has no work-life balance mm-hmm. she has no like this is her life if yeah. i were one of her kids there there would be times i would be incredibly resentful oh i'm sure and say and think to myself or maybe even say things when i was mad at her like will you want me you need do i need to get high for you to like show up for me to be nice to me to care about me um i also have questions about so they make it very clear the school breaks are hard times because you are not there you don't have your routine Mm -hmm. you don't have your support systems why aren't they all around an all year long school is it because they're a charter school i i don't the crazy thing is they were only talking about five days for Thanksgiving. They were not talking about long breaks. That one break they were really focused on was Wednesday to Monday. Because even one, of the kids, even one of the kids goes, oh, we don't have to come in on Friday. Cool. Like, I think that, I don't know if it's all year, but I don't think their breaks are very long 
that's like how fast it goes off the rails, I think is what yeah. they're trying to demonstrate. So if but they might, I, they might not be able to go all year for whatever accreditation. Yeah. Something like that. Because yeah. if I would, if this was my school. Agreed. It might be like funding. It might be all kinds of things. Yeah. They might not be able to afford to have teachers there all year. Yeah. But if this was my school, I would say, I would have you here the school would be open. Maybe it'd be a break and you didn't have to come, but the school would be open and someone so, will be there with like activities and things you could do or they help you work on. I would imagine or... there are reasons that that can't get done insurance wise, sure. accreditation wise. You know what I mean? Like there are, like Michelle probably has an explanation mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. that. But I, I, I wish they'd asked her. The other thing I was thinking about was that Thanksgiving um, mm-hmm. where, so they have a Thanksgiving because they said lots of kids don't have Thanksgiving. This is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Guys, you should know that I don't, I, I'm not going to say a number because I don't want to lie, but a lar- millions and millions of children in the United States don't even eat if they're not at school. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing to eat if you're not at school. I just started a really interesting article today for grad school uh, with this theory of shifting, redefining food food insecurity from a single family issue to a community issue, and how that if you can make food insecurity community problem and you can come up with a community solution for it, that it'd be a much better idea than trying to individually fix each family. Right. That's just an article I read today. It was very that, interesting. I mean, that, I mean, this sounds interesting to me too, but that Thanksgiving meal looked so sad and look at all the families that showed up to it. That is the their families. Yeah. Too. Yeah. They, they showed up because they have to, because otherwise they don't eat Thanksgiving meal. And I'm someone who doesn't think about that a lot because my husband works for a dairy and for Christmas and Thanksgiving, they give him a turkey. Mm-hmm. I get so annoyed when I see that turkey coming in the door because I'm like, fuck, we have to put, make this turkey. But I imagine that those families would be like, someone gave us a turkey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, and that's a thing, you know, like the free turkey donations and like the mobsters, you know what I mean? Like on Christmas would go and give everybody ham in the neighborhood. Yeah. Like that's very much a thing. And you're right. I don't think about that either. I feel that is so far removed from my reality. The mm-hmm. idea of somebody not being able to have a holiday meal. Yeah. I... And sometimes he gets two and three because people there are like, oh, my wife did, or my, I eat Thanksgiving at my mom's yeah, house or whatever. They, or, you know, I don't, you know, they just don't have beef for yeah. a turkey. And so, and so my husband will bring it home and he'll put it in the freezer and he'll be like, okay, so we're going to eat a turkey. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to eat another turkey. And I'll be like, I'm fucking tired of turkey. But here these kids are that would die for a fucking turkey. And mm-hmm. I'm someone who thinks a lot about other people. I'm, I think a lot about poverty. I work and I volunteer in these spaces. And even I have to check my privilege there. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think those are all my questions. So I have that question. I also want to know, so we'll talk about Sean and I have another question when okay. we get there. Oh, do you want to talk about, sorry, I thought you were still asking <laughs> me a question. Well, okay. The thing about Sean. So mm-hmm. when... The reason Sean, well, not the reason he's dead. I, I want to like back up from oh, that. Oh, because... should we talk about, okay, let's talk about this. Yeah. Okay. It's not the reason he's dead. I mean, it's, it's a contributing factor. It's the reason he died that day. It's the reason he died that day. Okay. That's great. Because a lot uh, right? of times. Because that's how you, that's how you would say it. Because who knows what would happen if he got, right. if he went in, but he died that day because of the lead up to what happens. Right. So he has shitty insurance. It's probably Medicaid. Okay. Yeah. 
and and they probably wouldn't let him say Medicaid. <laughs> and so, and or if not, it's his mom's like HSA pl- high deductible plan where she gets no HSA contribution. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. And he has relapsed. He is like one of the things Michelle has to do is decide: Do you yeah. need to go to treatment? Ooh, let's talk about you- this. Okay, yeah. so there. Let's talk about this before we get there. So the way the school does this is that they do random drug tests very regularly and it's an automatic phone call to their parents if it's opiates or benzos. Benzos are dangerous on their own, but now if you buy benzos, like there's a good chance they're actually pressed fentanyl, like fake pills. Fake pills were not a thing when I was doing drugs. Like all of the Xanax I bought, I mean, I would get prescriptions, but like came from somebody's prescription. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I knew where they were coming from, but now most street Xanax is fake pills that are pressed fentanyl. So she's very, very concerned about the benzos because I guess they probably like, you know, put a little bit of a Xanax in there and then press yeah. it with the fentanyl. They're very dangerous. Yeah. Like there's, it's dangerous. Yeah. So on top of like benzos being very dangerous on their own anyway, right. like benzos are dangerous. It's um, Russian roulette with your benzos. Yes. So their rule is like, if it's just, just, if it's like weed or Coke or whatever, or booze, I think those are like the three ones that pop the most that they don't call for. Those are like, let's reassess the situation. What happened? What can we do next time? Like, why did this happen? Let's talk about it. Um, And then, so then when they get the more serious drug tests, that's when they have to decide, like, do you need more help than we can give you here? Um, Mm -hmm. If they're too high at the school, they can't have them there because that's dangerous for the other students. like when they're too high, she's like, you can't be here. You just like, you can't, but yeah, they're a big part of it is her deciding like, is this just a one-time thing or do they need to go to detox or do they need to go to long-term treatment? Yep. And Sean had been fucking up for a little bit at this point. Sean had gotten like six ish months clean, right? Like he was doing well. And then he like had a fuck up. He drank over like Thanksgiving week and he drank and then he was doing dope like four days later, if that, maybe 48 hours later. Okay. Um, then he gets a little bit of time, then he fucks up again. So it's at the point where Michelle's like, well, you have to go to treatment. Like we, we can't have you here. And they were talking a lot about- Cause he was escalating. That's what yeah, it was. Yeah. He was getting mad and they were talking a lot about, um, in Florida it would be called Marchman Act- like or Baker Act in Pennsylvania, it's a Marchman oh, Act. Okay. Whatever, like the the involuntary commitment is essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they were talking about doing that with him because I I guess that's like a route his parent his mom has taken multiple times in the past because he was very familiar with the system. He's like, I'll write a letter to the judge. I can go up there with clean pee to the judge. You know what I mean? Like he he knew what was happening, so they decide that they're going to do that. But like in the process are able, he does agree to go to treatment in the process and they are able to get him into a treatment center that has a bed, but his- will ins- take his insurance. Yes. Cause that's important. But his insurance says, no, you have to go to the hospital first because I guess, I don't, I don't know what their reason is because hospitals don't do anything for opiate withdrawals anyway because they're not like it's not like benzos or alcohol you can die opiates for the most part you don't die coming off of them it's just horrible um 
It's just whatever their stupid process is. Exactly. That somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about came up with. That was like, that is based on cost benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. And also like, okay, you I have mean, to go to the ER so we can get this thing. And then, and then the treatment center. But the question I have, or the thing that bothered me, not bothered me, but the thing that I was like, eh, Michelle, that she says that the, she found the bed, but the insurance company and the treatment center said he had to go to the ER. Here's the thing. The treatment center doesn't get paid unless the insurance company says it's okay. If, if the insurance company was going to pay for it, the treatment center doesn't care where you came from. Yeah. Like, I think, I think though what she's saying is just like the, how disheartening the whole system is because it's when the you, insurance company for sure. But princess, when you, when you regularly deal with these for-profit treatment centers and you see the owners driving around in Maseratis, <laughs> literally, I, know. I, know. It, I think it just is one of those things rule. where it's like, you could have fucking, I think what she's saying but not saying is you should have given him a scholarship until the insurance went through yeah. because treatment centers do give scholarships and a lot of people will get scholarship like until you know what I mean? The insurance kicks in. So I would imagine from where she was sitting, she's like, they should have just given him a scholarship and took him. She in. knows how easy it is for someone to just be like, okay, I'll give it, you a scholarship. Exactly. So it's not like, I'm sure if you, if she was speaking rationally to us, she'd be like, I understand why they can't take him. Like you only, you, she would say exactly what you just said. You know what I mean? But I think like when you are in this and you see how easy it is, it's not easy, but it is easy that like, if you get the right person on the phone, they can be like, okay, we'll give them a scholarship. We, we have a scholarship open right now. Like we always have four beds on scholarship and one of these is open. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's what she's so upset about. And what happens is they take, he's willing to go to treatment. They take him to the hospital and he waits there for eight fucking hours. And he leaves because he he doesn't doesn't want to, he's dope sick. No, by then he's dope sick. He's like, fuck it. I'm not staying here. They didn't say that, but that's what's happening. Like you start to get sick and you're like, I'm not going to stay here and wait here because now I'm sick and I don't want to feel sick. I was willing to go when I didn't feel sick. That's why he's aggressive with Michelle when he comes mm-hmm. back and he's like, he's mad, I have clean pee, blah, blah, yeah. blah, and I'll do this. And, and like, because. And, er- oh, I got the letter thing mixed up because earlier in the episode is when he goes in front, they try to commit him. He goes in front of the judge and the judge lets, like, lets him off. And that's when he goes missing for a week or whatever. He goes missing for multiple days. Then he pops back up. He's, I, I think this is what happened. He pops back up. He's doing well then he does bad again. And this is when they're like, okay, we got to get you to treatment. And so he goes to the hospital and then he leaves and he comes, his mom lets him come home that night. Mm -hmm. And then his little brother, right. Woke up and went to wake him up and found him dead. Yeah. And it's devastating because this is someone you've been to class with. This is someone you've cared. You've like, encourage it's devastating he's so young like not just for michelle but like just like how upset the kids were yeah it's like first of all when you're a teen everything hurts so much more anyway you know what i mean like you don't you don't have big picture perspective so how you feel is how you think you're gonna feel forever i remember in sleepaway camp one year one of the girls in my bunk that was like my best friend had an eating disorder and like they only let her come if she was 
they were like monitoring her and she lost weight. So she like got sent home. And I remember feeling like my whole world was over in that day. And then like two days later, I was totally fine. I actually wrote my parents a letter about how distressed I was. And by the time my mom got it, she called camp and was like, I need to speak with her immediately. Like something's not right. And I picked up the phone be like on a non-phone call time in the office. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And she's like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. Why? Like, because it was like six days later or whatever. Yeah. But like these kids, first of all, everybody just like that panic, the panic of everybody like running around. And Michelle's like, get in, in the cafeteria. Get in the cafeteria now. Because what she knows is happening is somebody knows in that school. You know what I mean? And the last thing that she wants is a kid screaming it in the hallway. Not like, screaming at like but like screaming in the hallway that Sean died and so she's like we need to get like you the look of panic and like in her voice when you can just hear her be like get in the cafeteria get in the cafeteria because you know she's so scared also of breaking this news because imagine like how scary it is to have like this group of addicts and you're like well your best friend your boyfriend just died and like now all of you that I know are hanging on by a thread, like mm-hmm. now have this terrible information and what the fuck are we supposed to do? And what people don't understand is that they'll, a lot of people will be like, well, good, tell them so that they'll know not to do it. No, 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 that's not how it works. What happens is you get that news and you think all is lost. So yeah, I, there's because- nothing for me to work for. I need to go get high now because that's going to make me feel better. This goes back to when you are a drug addict, every moment of your life is a consequence and trauma. And the reality is most drug addicts use because they have some sort of trauma or even if they don't have trauma, like their brain for whatever reason has like some sort of emotion that they have not learned to deal with and cope. And the only way they know how to fucking deal with that is to get high and numb it out. Yep. And so to say, to think like, oh, well, they'll learn from that. Like you don't learn from that. What you feel Mm -hmm. is like, I, I cannot deal with this. This is not a feeling I can deal with. Although interesting enough, when that person did die in rehab, that's when I like decided I wanted to go for more help because that actually did really scare me. But at the same time, I had like 30 days clean that, you know what I mean? Like I was, we've established that you are not the norm. Like everything that happened (laughs) to you, you had such a shallow bottom. Every, like you're the one person that didn't you, what drug did you go on that most people start with something else? (laughs) Yeah. You're the one person that did like, you are not the norm. True, true, true. I'm just saying like, like it, it can happen, I guess. But the reality is if you don't, I think the reason it worked for me is because I had a decent amount of clean time then. And I knew there was an opportunity for me to get more help. Do you know what I, like there was yep. like this set, like a lot of people were going to Florida to go for more treatment. So like I knew it was a possibility and I was like, oh, I should do that because I don't want to die. Also, I was 25 years old, mm-hmm. not 16. Yeah. And what did she say? She said something that I was like, that's really good. People should think about that all the time is that because when she's talking about the disconnect between treatments, uh, aftercare, long-term recovery, that sort Mm -hmm. of stuff, not treatments, but uh, detox, Mm -hmm. you know, all that is that the more time you can be clean, it's not that you can't relapse, but the more time you can be clean and sober, the, the better you are prepared. If you can just get some good time, like you're better, like, 60 days is better than 30. 
like, yeah, you're six right. Months she is better really than two did. <laughs> she really did have that attitude in it. I agree. Cause I felt the same way when I heard her say that. And first of all, it's, I think I hope that people who watch this can understand how little help there is. This yeah. is why it upsets me because like, it just feels so impossible when like so many people that you love and care for are sick and you're like, I know you are going to die because there's actually no real help for you because you've tried everything. Right. It feels impossible. There is no, it feels like there's no answer. And if that's not. upset me too, because I'm a fixer. I'm someone that's like, well, let's get a list and let's do, but there's no list we can write about this. No, and every time they do something new, you're like, this is going to work. This is going to work. Yeah. This is going to work. And it doesn't work. And it doesn't work. It's like people you really love. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, they're just going to die soon. Mm -hmm. I hope it's not this soon. Mm -hmm. And the, the optimism of each time you try goes down more. Like you, cause you're, cause you know how bad it can go. You know what the end result could be. You know, as a person in my thirties and this was really happening, especially when I was in my twenties, cause I was still in Florida. Like I shouldn't have to be like, okay, well, like they're going to be dead soon. And I'm going to see it on, like, I'm going to see a rest in peace on Facebook one day. And then the worst feeling is like, you see it and you're like, okay. Like you're upset, but you're like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I, I knew that was going to happen. Like when, when your friend that's under the age of 30 dies and it's not a surprise to you. Yeah. It's yeah. fucking hard. And this is why it upsets me because most of the time I don't have to think about this because I have achieved long-term sobriety and especially not living in Florida. I don't really have friends like going in and out of recovery. Like most of my friends up here are actually not drug addicts. They're all like true alcoholics, which is so weird <laughs> because nobody in Florida was a true alcoholic that was young. A true alcoholic means they're just an alcoholic. And yeah. They all have more time than me. They're like in their third, you know what I mean? Like, but in Florida, because I met and I met them in AA, but like established in AA. But most of my friends in Florida, I like met in treatment or met in the mm-hmm. halfway house. And so it was like this constant cycle of them. And it just is like, so this isn't happening to me as much now. So I feel a little more disconnected from it. And like the people that do die are people that I'm like not that close with, at least. For the most part, because I mean, it could happen. You know what I mean? It could happen to anybody um, that I'm friends with in recovery. I mean, it realistically could happen to me. And it just like, (sighs) there is really no way to describe like the hopelessness that you feel when you're like, all of my friends are dying. Yeah. it, it feels so hopeless and that's why it's so hard and it's so sad because it's like, people are like, well, just go to, go to rehab, get on Suboxone, get on methadone, do smoke weed instead, just drink. And it's like, it's so, it's so sad when like somebody that you care for so much, like my friend Christina that died, at, what was that in 2019? Yeah, in January of 2019. Like I tried so 
tried so fucking hard. We stayed friends throughout her using, through her full service sex work stuff that mm-hmm. I like saw the details of that was fucking horrified. I was so scared she was going to get murdered. Um, like that for a while, I was actually more feel f- fearful about her getting murdered than overdosing. Um, cause that's how dangerously she was living. And, you know, I like, I cared and loved her so fucking much. And so when she passed, her mom had actually called me. I didn't recognize the number cause she had called from their home phone. And at the time I, <laughs> They had to, I found out later they needed to reset my voicemail because I wasn't, my voicemails were not coming through, but I didn't know this. So she had called me and I didn't, you know what I mean? I don't fucking pick up numbers. I don't know, especially if I don't see a voicemail at the end, like I don't call back. And then like, I mean, probably 40 minutes after that. Yeah. I'm Cause like are you scrolling. still getting those phone calls from the. No, like- not now I'm not, but well, as of right now, I'm not. They could always come back <laughs> from the apartment complex people. Yeah. But like yeah. I, but in general, I don't pick up numbers. I don't know. Why would I do that? Um, mm-hmm. And I figure if, if they'll leave a message, message if it's important, which she did, but I didn't see it. So like 40 minutes later, scrolling through Facebook and it's just like, when it happens exactly the way that you knew it would happen, it is the most crushing feeling And so, like, I understand why Michelle is so lax because it's like, these kids are going to die. And if I can do anything to help them from dying because there's actually no solution for their drug addictions, really, like maybe if they're part of the 5% that's lucky enough to achieve long-term sobriety, guys, 5%. Yeah. 5%. I'm the only person that in my Florida treatment center that has continuous sobriety from then. I'm 99% sure. Now, some people have got sober, relapsed, and I got sober shortly after that. So they have like, you know, within a year of me. But as far as I know, out of like 30 people, I'm the only person that's been sober since then. It's really hard. And And it's just sad. And that's why I love this show because it's like, it has to be sad because the opioid addiction well, is sad. Liz, the other thing that I was thinking about watching this is that I know that someone in addiction, like, first of all, I know it's very hard to change your life. You've one, you've got to want to. Okay. That's the first <laughs> then thing. You, you have gotta, to have the resources. <laughs> then you got to have the resources. Like people can change, but it's fucking tough. So, so hard. And I can't do it for you. Like Michelle, mm-hmm. if Michelle, if Michelle could do it for them, she would. She would. You can tell she would walk over broken glass for them. If Michelle but could kill herself to save one of those students, she'd do it. If it was a guarantee that you know what I mean, like if it was like yeah. you die, they live for and die of old age, she would do it. Yeah, but the thing is, they have to want to do it, and well, the, some of them want, but. Like, this is not a something, you know what it is? Yeah, no, they have to want to do it. And the worst part is, it's like. They have to do it themselves. Like, I can't do it for them. I'm thinking about my kids now, about like this homeschool shit and how mm-hmm. like frustrated I am and how like depressed I am about being this involved in school because 
Um, I am, a teacher. I'm not a teacher and I'm a type A personality. Mm-hmm. Like if you gave me a list of things to do, I would be like, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah. But they are not. And they all have different learning disabilities and stuff. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can't see this. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so depressed. But the thing I keep reminding myself is like, dude, there's a reason you do not involve yourself in your schools, in your the schooling of your children. And also you are a parent. You are not them. So mm-hmm. they have to do the thing. Yeah. And if they don't and they can't, then we need to work on ways to support them doing the thing. You can't do it. And so I can't, this is why I can never work in a school like this because I would be like, no, just don't, just don't. <laughs> yeah. Because I would be up all night being like, I hope he doesn't, but he has to do it. And I think like to the point of they have to want it. I think that's, a very true statement. I've, I mean, I've said that a million times in this podcast, I'm sure, because that's something that I believe in. But I think what's hard to understand is like how many people want it, but can't, still can't have it. get it. Like that is the worst part when you yeah. want to get sober. So like my friend, Christina, like I know she wanted to get sober and you know what? getting sober and then being in active addiction again, like made it impossible for her to get sober because of the trauma she had to go through while she was using yeah. on top of all the trauma she had right. early in her life. You know what I mean? Yes. And like all the things you have to do to you, <laughs> like to be a full service sex worker when that's not what you want to be doing so that you can use like that fucked her up. Like she started taught, like I swear her mom and I would talk about this. Like, are she spoke different like her voice was different like it changed her brain and like I know that she died that like did not want to die that day you know what I'm I know she was not trying to kill herself is what I'm saying and I do really believe because I've seen it that there are people that want it so bad and their brains won't let them and that that is what I mean by like the hopelessness of no treatment because even these people that want it so bad and get it and get sober and then die so quickly after relapse. Like they don't, most people don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like most, like if they had a real choice, if they were, if like they were in their right mind and had the ability to choose, they'd be like, no, I don't want to do that. They, I mean, they say it on this, on this show all the time. Like who would choose to live like this? So when I was doing, I did a princess fix my life episode this week. And I was talking about addiction. On Princess's Patreon, which you should listen to. They're very good. Oh, that, that actually, that explanation you gave was so good. I was like, yeah. you should find the, the relationship post and send her this file. <laughs> but I think a lot of times outside people who, who don't have addictions try to comfort ourselves by saying, well, this bad thing could never happen to me because mm-hmm. I didn't do drugs. And mm-hmm. so the reason it happened to you because you did do drugs and that makes you feel safer because you're like, well, I, it could never happen to me. But if you, are, you have your empathy hat on, mm-hmm. you will remember that being a teenager who smokes a little weed, <laughs> drinks a little I mean, bit. I started smoking tr- weed when I was 11 years old. How could yeah. anybody say that's a choice? Yeah. How can anybody say that in a, like, cause I've had people be like, well, you just shouldn't have started doing drugs. And I was like, I was 11 when I started smoking weed and I was 13 when I started abusing Xanax. Oh, oh. So like who 
You know what they're going to say, Liz? They're going to be like, well, where are your parents? Yeah. Guess this what? Is- <laughs> guess where? <laughs> That's where you got your weed from. Yeah. Guess, guess where? Well, not the weed, but the Z- not at that point. The Xanax, though. Yeah. I just took it from my mom when yeah. I was 13. Like, that's not a choice. And I guarantee you these kids that are all serious addicts before the age of 18, like it's, they're not making a choice to use. We wouldn't let them make it. They can't vote. We don't let them make choices. We really don't. So so they don't have a choice of school. They don't have a choice of like who they're, where they go for holidays. Like, well, I'm just saying, but that's how people, that's how people make themselves feel better about the, about this entire crisis. But when you really think about it, it is overwhelming at how big the problem is. That's why this show is overwhelming. That's why, that's why that's it. That's why it upsets me a lot because if it just feels overwhelming when I like really am like in the thick of thinking about it. Yeah. I, you know, it's hard for me too. Cause I think, how do I keep my kids from being drug addicts? I was going to ask. I can't. <laughs> do you, I mean, first of all, I have a theory that people that have learning disabilities just have like a much higher rate of drug addiction because life is really hard when you have a learning disability. Um, it's ADHD is also makes you drug seeking. Yeah. So supposedly my, I won't say exactly how I know this person, but just because it'd be a little, a child that was once in my life had very, very severe ADHD. And at one point got some sort of MRI, like the super specialist. And they said like, he never should go near opiates because like the receptors in his brain will like eat that shit up. Basically being like, we, we looked at his brain and he is such a high risk for opiate addiction. And here's the thing that people that don't grow up with learning disabilities don't understand is like, life is really, really hard for children with learning disabilities. Like I remember I used to, my mom would be like, why are you doing this? And I'd be like, I don't know. Like I, like I was like eight and I was like, I just don't know. I don't know why I'm doing this. And I didn't want to be doing this and I want to do well in school. And I feel, I feel so shitty when I don't do well in school and when I get caught cheating in third grade and you like, you're out of step with everyone. It seems like everyone just like (laughs) knows something. Exactly. And your parents are talking to you. Like, why don't you just know how to do this? Yeah. And They'll even go over with you and you're, and then they'll, and you get that blank stare and they're like, why aren't you paying attention? Then my dad and I screaming about math. Like it's so hard to have a learning disability that when you find something that for the first time in your, well, not always the first time, because a lot of people will say like, it started with sugar when I was very young, Mm -hmm. where I like kind of learned to disassociate with like books, you know, like you would like learn in different ways, but none of it compares. And when you are, you have these issues and you're like me and you smoke weed when you're 11 and you're like, oh, this feels really good. Like not in the way that like a 10th grader that smokes weed is like, oh, this is fun feels. You know what I mean? It's like the first time in your life, at least for me, but I think this is true from a lot of other people that have learning disabilities that end up drug addicts. I've talked to many of them. Like when you struggle so much with life, like just like everything is a struggle to find something that's so easy to do and makes you feel so good is like the ultimate relief. It's like sweet relief from life. Yeah. Well, I will say this is that like the number one cause of 
kids getting in the gangs, kids having um, underage sex. I mean, almost all kids have underage sex. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, 12 year very old, young year, sex. Like young sex. Um, kids getting into drugs is lack of after school supervision. Um, those hours between three and like six. Interesting. That makes are, sense. And so when they talk about neighborhoods where you have high rates of teenage mm-hmm. pro- uh, pregnancy, high rates of gang activity, yeah. uh, they're teen not being violence, they don't have shit to do. Because between three and six, or sometimes three and 10, yeah. there's nobody there. And you are, so that's one thing that I strive to do is to be a, to have my, to be a place for my kids after school and mm-hmm. to have them involved in something they enjoy. The other thing is, is to, understand that especially like all my kids have adhd three of them aren't two of them aren't diagnosed but all that's not even including the trauma of being fostered and adopted children yeah so we talk so they all have that so that is a natural drug seeking like yeah that's you you you, first of all i have you on drugs so let's start (laughs) there and then and then you are always looking for dopamine releases and Mm -hmm. So I work very hard to have physical activities. That's also something I wanted when I was a kid. My mom like never pushed me into physical activities. So I was like really sedentary all the time. And so I really want to work on, or what I try is to make sure that they find ways of getting, this sounds gross, natural highs, but that's Yeah, that. no, I get it. So if we can do that, that's helpful. The other thing um, in terms of the learning disabilities and stuff me not being involved in your schooling is the right way to go. And all <laughs> I do is celebrate wins and yeah. I do not discuss loot losses. I do not. I, if, if you're going to get it from somebody, it's from your teacher. For me, I'm just like, wow, a C is better than a D. And I am very proud of you. Let's get to my screen. Like that's all I, I don't want to put that pressure on them. And the last thing, Oh, not the last thing. The second to last thing is that I talk openly about drugs all the time. All my kids have bio parents who are drug addicts. So, which makes them a higher so, risk. So did my mom. Yeah, <laughs> but not in like I a, not even a drug addict way. She'd be like, once I did, what did she tell me? Oh, angel dust. She said, oh never do God. that. She said, I did it once in college and I sat in the quad the whole night just waiting to come down. It was so well, awful. I don't talk about experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I discuss drugs. I talk what they look like. We, when we are watching uh, media that involves drug stuff, I mm-hmm. want to talk about it. We, they all know that the that the main reason they don't live with their bio parents is because of drugs, yeah. and that, like, obviously their parents love them very much, and mm-hmm. if they could, they would have done what they needed to do. They just could not because drugs make you care, make you not care about other things. It's just how drugs are. Drugs only want you to care about drugs. <laughs> they're selfish yeah. that way and so we talk about these things constantly i'm i'm openly pointing out things i'm not like shying them away from stuff i'm like but not demonizing it i'm not time. demonizing i'm just yeah. like like we talked to like we so see you're talking austin's about a full, reality yeah austin is full of tons of homeless people and they mm-hmm. all and we do a lot of volunteer work and they will often ask me how do you get homeless and we will I talk know. openly about how <laughs> drugs will make you yeah will make you spend yeah. money on drugs and not have a place like we talk about these things but the very last thing is i know i can't keep them i can't so all Mm -hmm. i can do is have these open conversations give them these opportunities make sure they are fully supervised after school and 
in places where they might not be like i don't let my kids stay home all summer they gotta fucking mm-hmm. go and they got they have to do shit they have to be places and i can do that because i have the resources too i have money i have access you're I so have, educated and you yeah. read books i, yeah, I like know the that shit. <laughs> i mean talk about like what sets it's just so unfair <laughs> you know like you know? Yeah. it's so unfair like you have a college degree mm-hmm. you are a professional worker you are somebody who likes to read so you yep. can read parenting books you are someone who is interested in taking parenting classes yeah. not because like you are some somebody fucking amazing person it's like but like also because of the and you did it's not like you came from this super super privileged background but you still yeah. had advantages and like you were able to get an education and like that alone sets you probably pretty far apart from their bio parents that is true and i we talk about that like well be just to be honest the reason your mom didn't have a place to stay is because one she didn't have someone that was going to help her like i have daddy daddy works and i work and we put our money together i Mm -hmm. like we talk about things like that and i hope like i just hope i can be as open with them but i also hope that when things happen i can being a parent is very hard to separate yourself from your child okay like their choices are not your choices (laughs) if they decide they want a reflection on you yeah like if they have like it that's that's incredibly hard i it's it takes a lot for me to be saying okay well he had a bad day at school that doesn't reflect on you because if i were in school i would be in my seat that's what i would be doing so (laughs) so but and to just like walk into the room without being like, and you're in trouble. And I can't believe you did this to me. And just be like, like my biggest thing is that if my kids are in trouble, the first thing I do is I walk in the room, I am not combative. And I'm like, so what happened? And I let them like talk to me about it and and Mm -hmm. we explain. So these are all things that are going to be helpful. But in the end, nothing I do, I might be able to keep them from being exposed to certain things. I might be able to, um, like give them opportunities, but in the end, nothing fix I do, their brains. I can't. I there's nothing I can fucking do. And all I can do is so I, you know, like half my family are drug addicts. Like mm-hmm. half of them are. And my mother um is an addict. My father is an alcoholic. Now one day I want me and your Yvonne and also my Yvonne <laughs> to go to a meeting together. No be my dream. My mother has never taken me to a meeting. Three of us. Well, you're not invited. You're not invited. It'd be the three of us. I know. Like my. She has to take me to an NA meeting. It's the law. It's the rule. (laughs) If I called that bitch up and I was like, "I'm in Virginia Beach," which is possible, that's not an impossibility for me. It's where. It's so funny. Our moms are both named Yvonne, and my mom is from Virginia Beach. I was born and raised there. It's very weird, but like, if I was in Virginia Beach, I called her. She would take me to a meeting. She has to. She would. She would. My tradition. Like, I and she's extra bad. involved. <laughs> I don't feel bad about talking about my mom's recovery because she talks about it constantly. Yeah, it's one of the first things she will tell you. It's one of the first things she tells her clients that are also in recovery. She's like, "I'm in recovery. My re- my recovery is very important to me. So I just, if you'll be respectful and not show up high, that mm-hmm. would be great. Because if you are high, I'm gonna have to leave because I'm just trying to stay on track. <laughs> she's, I'd rather not smoke crack today. Yeah, she's like, I'm not gonna get involved in that. So you know, I'm just gonna keep it going. Like all her friends are in recovery are like if i go over a house there these are these responsees and stuff my mom 
and in a way I've talked to her about this. I was like, I kind of feel like you got over drug addiction and you're addicted to NA. And she's like, I yeah. think so too, but I'm happy. Yeah, you always hear <laughs> people say that as a criticism of AA. They're like, and then people get addicted to AA. And it's like, okay, if that's true, is that so bad? No, <laughs> it's not bad. My mom's anytime like, but I'm I really see productive. That, anytime I see that as a criticism of AA, especially for people that are not drug addicts or alcoholics, I'm like, being addicted to recovery isn't that bad. If that's, if that's your like major outcome from your addiction is that you get addicted to recovery. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But like my whole family is like this. My grandfather died of alcoholism. <laughs> like yeah. I, once I was at my grandfather's house and he and my uncle got into a fight and my uncle closed the door and I was sleeping on the couch and he slammed the door and a vase fell off a shelf and hit me in my head. And when I woke up, like I woke up because I was hit in the head and I was bleeding. I thought my grandfather had hit me. So I hit him and then he hit me <laughs> and we're all crying. And my mom's like, she's getting glass out of my hair and like talking to me in the bathroom. She's like, listen, everybody is a junkie. <laughs> I, was like, I was like 10 years old, 10 years old. And like this is so I'm I've been around a lot of it I have a lot of empathy for it and my hope is that like you know 20 years from now I'm not like visiting one of my kids at rehab but if that's what I gotta fucking do that's what you gotta do I'll be at rehab I'll come yeah. <laughs> I'll come for family day oh the one thing I did want to talk about ugh, just felt so sad in the last in the fourth episode this kid, I think his name is Josh. He's a foster kid. They don't really go into details about his parents. It seems like he's in contact with them, but not really. Um, and he is aging out of the system and he turns 18 and he, it's just so sad. He said, how, this isn't fair that I have to find a place to live. Like, this isn't fair. I don't want to yeah. do this. Like, I don't want to find a place to live with some stranger. And Michelle had to be like, well, unfortunately, all of your friends live with their parents so they're not going to move in with you yeah. and this like how fucking sad is it that a kid that's a drug addict trying going to recovery high school then has to like figure out a place to live how many kids do you think have moved in with michelle over the years um that's a good question the only reason i say maybe not that many and she might have that boundaries because she didn't offer to let him come to her house okay do you know um, what I mean? Like, I feel like if that was like a regular thing she did, she would have offered it to him. Yeah. Aging out of foster care is really fucking hard. And if you age out of foster care, you are, I believe it's seven times more likely to die before you are 25. Um, and even if you're 16 and someone adopts you, mm -hmm. um, you just, it just increases everything. And it's because even adopting like a 16 or 17 year old because yeah, then they don't have to leave when they're 18 <laughs> they don't have to leave when they're 18 and they also they have anchor in this life mm, like a mm -hmm. place to come to for thanksgiving a place to call and say i don't know how to do this can you help me like it is and even like it's just very hard um when you and stas were talking about i forgot what you were talking about oh somebody that um youtube couple that we're going to adopt James. and yeah. like could never. <laughs> oh, Nikki Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Felipe. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. They, they would never let them foster ever in their yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just, like, they, it felt like they didn't even look at the requirements. N no, so, not, not once. You guys asked, why do people 
go through agency instead of through CPS. And the reason is agencies give you more um, resources. resources, help. You get an actually you get a case manager who's like, who stays with your family no matter how, what kids are in there. And my mm-hmm. case manager um, is someone I talk to almost every day and is incredibly helpful to me. Even if I'm talking about my adopted kid, she's just like, try this, call here. Here's a link mm-hmm. to this. Like she, and CPS caseworkers don't do that because they cannot do that. They have yeah. lots of cases. They, they, they can't contact you every week. It's not possible. But the other thing about agencies is that because many of them are for profit, mm-hmm. they often, they want kids to come to theirs so they have incentives not the kids the kids don't get to choose but they will they have incentives for families and for kids in my agency when you age out they the year prior to you aging out spends all this time sending you to classes about like how to get your first apartment how to Mm -hmm. open a checking account this is what budgeting is like that is part of your plan and like your foster family and your and the child have to work together Mm-hmm. to make sure that he's getting to these classes. Then if you age out, they buy you a car. It's a used car, but they buy you one. Yeah. They, when you age out, they don't let your 18th birthday hit without knowing where you're going to live. And if Did you me- watch that Netflix show, Unbelievable, about the girl? It's like a mini series. I think it was Netflix, I think. And she is raped and then they don't believe her and it ends up being the serial rapist. It's actually very, very good. But she is an age-out foster child. It's based on a true story. And she's living in a foster, like age-out foster child uh, apartment complex. Yes. So they have things like that. But, and then, you know, you can stay in foster care till you're 23 in Texas if you will sign that you will stay in there because mm-hmm. and most all, all i mean adhd is overdiagnosed in foster care but like mm-hmm. what if you have some sort of they can they can hang it on some medical issue they will leave you in foster care so but what will happen is that you'll have a foster family but they'll be working it with you as an adult that's like uh, for most kids don't want to do that because they don't want to be told what to do. A lot of them are trying to get back to bio families. It usually doesn't work yeah. out for them. I feel bad for them. But well, and they probably is, don't have a ton of trust. They don't have a ton of trust. Now. Like, yeah, this will be a good idea for me. Like this um, will work until I'm 23. I, a like, lot of them also get um, benefits, uh, Medicaid benefits, like money uh-huh. because of uh, pre-existing conditions. And they want that check. And they think that like, if someone will just give me $800 a month or a thousand dollars a month, <laughs> everything will be fine. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Like they, you know, they're young. Mm-hmm. So like, but aging out of foster care, you're more likely to be pregnant. You're more likely to die. A drug addiction, all kinds of things can happen, will happen to you before you're 25 based on statistics. So yeah, watching that guy, I was like, yeah, it isn't fair. It's fucked up. And he doesn't even have a bio family waiting in the wings to be like, just come on back. Yeah. Everything yeah. will be different. This is so, I did want to talk about this. I, I think this is like the last thing that I want to talk about with this is I really liked how they did this graduation episode because they could have done it. Well, first of all, when they had Josh, that kid, um, when they showed him speaking at that recovery day in yeah. front of all those, the, I, I started crying then because I was like, of that course. probably feels so good for him. You know, like this is a foster kid. He's a drug addict and he got up in front of 
I mean, there were like a thousand people there. It was packed. Michelle's rubbing his back as he and they he starts crying and they're all cheering for him when he says, "I have seven months sober." Like I can't imagine how incredible that felt for him. But the thing that I liked about this episode is I think they could have made it a lot more positive and optimistic, and I'm glad that they didn't because Michelle is like actually, I don't really like when they graduate because when they, they don't have the skills to be an adult. She's like, I'm extremely concerned about them. None of them are mature enough to live on their own. They don't have any structure. They're all hanging on by a thread. Mm -hmm. They all could die. Like I found that to be really refreshing that it wasn't like this. Although I will say everybody they updated in the last episode was actually doing pretty well. One of the girls even had two years sober, which was so amazing to see. And the one that was pregnant had full custody of her baby, which was wonderful. Um, But you know that when she tells us she's pregnant, my first thought is, okay, so life just got 80% harder for you. 90%. You you staying (laughs) sober is even harder now. Oh, so much harder. But I'm just saying it was like a nice update, you know what I like for her. That she had custody of the baby and was sober. Um, Wasn't but, the baby's father like? In yeah, treatment? he was in treatment. Um, what made me like? I liked that they didn't make it this like pretend like this thing where it's like, oh, it's the last episode. Like, let's wrap it up about how like amazing it is that they can graduate. And Michelle's like, getting them to graduate is the easy. The academics are the easy part, which is crazy because it's actually quite hard. They have to get them a lot of classes to be able to graduate because most of them are quite behind. And she's like, that's the easy part. The hard part is that these kids don't have anything good waiting for them. A lot of them. And I was like, that's some real shit. Like I was glad at how honest she was in that. And just like as, as far as editing and production went, I thought that was a very strong choice and I liked it a lot because I think they could have edited that all together very differently. And like, even at, at the graduation ceremony, which I started crying as soon as they showed Sean's candle. Mm. I mean, yeah, I, under, I understand like that kids in high school die. Like it's a thing that happens, but like, I'm sure the school every year has to like plan how they'll do an in memoriam at their graduation, I would imagine, which is devastating. But like, I like that it didn't seem like the happy, I don't know, that sounds so depressing, but it felt so real that Michelle wasn't like, and now they're going to be great. Michelle's like, I'm terrified for them. And I just hope they keep coming around and that they do the right thing. I... I like that it was depressing, personally. I that's like, some real shit. I like anything that well, yeah, does not too. paint a addiction like... A happy and ending. Don't, yeah, and don't worry. They went to rehab. <laughs> yeah. The end. Yeah. <laughs> we all know it's not the end. Yeah. And so you and I were talking about Delonte West, okay? Correct. And how triggering... For me, tr- things like that are really triggering to me. It's why if people don't know who he is. He is a former Mavericks basketball player who is now a drug addict and a viral. A picture of him panhandling went viral this week right. or last week. When I don't know this week, and Mark Cuban went and like picked him up and took him to rehab. And that's when you texted me at that point when Mark when the news of Mark Cuban like taking him to rehab came out. Right, and Delonte West is triggering to me because I. The reason I think about the Mighty Ducks goalie all the fucking time is that 
I hate when people take pictures of someone that's a celebrity or a known person who is spiraling downward to be like, hey, look at who was panhandling yeah. on the highway. Look who I saw begging for sandwiches. Look yeah. who, like, um, I forget her name, Maya Campbell. Remember she was on In the House with LL Cool J? She has, um, oh, yeah. I want to say schizophrenia, but I could be wrong. It could be like bipolar. Schizo- oh, like it's, yeah. And she, they have like video of her riding in a car and like she's all, she looks like she's Also she's the fam- Family Matters daughter, doesn't she have issues? Maybe. But like, so. well, she did porn or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I yeah. hate stuff like that. First of all, I hate when people take pictures of homeless people or people indigent because even if they say it's okay because the power Stop. structure is you're about to give them $10. Don't take pictures of strangers in general. Yes. <laughs> and that. so, and then we put it on, so then you put it on Twitter, not you, but someone puts it on Twitter and so they can go viral and, you know, pimp their SoundCloud and like there's this, there's a bunch of shit shame um, loss of pride, uh, patheticness, like the real definition of patheticness that triggers me. Okay. So I really hate shit like that. But we, I also think that people see things like that because they think that if you once had some money or you're, or you some fame or something that you could never get there. And if you did get there, it's because you made all the wrong decisions and mm-hmm. look at you and ha, Look at what it, like, I, it really fucking bothers me. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about that. I just wanted to bring that up. That, that Delonte, like his face is burning. Well, what you said memory. to me is like, so what's going to happen in two weeks when he leaves treatment and he's back out on the street because that he wasn't ready to get help. He's just going to get help because he went viral on Twitter and my Mark Cuban decided, took him to rehab. Yeah, and talked to his mom and stuff. Yeah, and like, then you said something about it wasn't even Mark Cuban, like, in the money thing. And I said, well, actually, Mark Cuban could afford to send, like, everyone in this country to rehab if he wanted to. So, like, can, it's not even that generous. Open a free rehab. Yeah. Where he just... But <laughs> I'm sure it was free. I'm sure... I'm sure it was done as a favor. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, and now everyone's like, Mark Cuban's a hero. And I'm like... <sighs> There's so much grossness associated with it. Yeah. Well, it's like the hero worship of, like, saving this poor, desperate addict. Yeah, and it's so much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And you can have everything. You really could have everything, and drug addiction still gets you. I mean, and people do. Like, it's the like, Betty Ford Center is called that because Betty Ford was an alcoholic and had to go to treatment. Like, I know. She was the president's <laughs> wife. Like, I know. And so, as we wrap this up for the, the kids and everything, and I, I agree with you that I, I like the ending. I like more real endings. I know that over the next year, as people go, whatever happened to so-and-so off 16 and recovering, we're going to find at least one of them dies. We're going to find people relapse. Any of them have died right by now. Yeah, it's possible. I guarantee you somebody in that, maybe not one of the main eight kids, you know, but like, I'm sure somebody there. We're going to find out that so-and-so is homeless now. Mm, That will probably be a lot of them. Yeah, because that's, what it is and oh we forgot to mention in this final episode there's this one scene where michelle is really angrily and i couldn't figure out what was going on first reading these charges of three kids who got arrested for armed robbery of a house and and half a million dollar bond and it was josh's friends but i did they go to the school i couldn't like figure that out i thought 
they went to the school because I thought they did too. Cause the way she was speaking about it, she's like, this could be you. These are your friends who made one idiotic decision and they are all 18. Did you notice they were all 18 mm-hmm. and they had guns. Those kids are going away. And they were probably doing it to get money for drugs. Absolutely. And just some impulsive ass dumb decision <gasps> oh, that a bunch you- of kids made who are 18. So now they're all going to get five years in prison. Not you that know, they don't. No, I was. I, I don't mean, want to say they deserve it, but like, well, I understand. But it's a very serious. Are, actions well, have consequences. Robbing a house with a gun is a very serious crime. You could have like, killed that's, someone. That's not some like petty shit. You know what I mean? That's not yeah. like, oh, well, they just like opened somebody's car door and like took some shit out of it. Like once yeah. you are involving guns and like you're entering someone's home, like that's and very very serious. If even someone though someone had died, prison. Oh, they would get illegal murder. Conspiracy murder, absolutely. In the commission of a or crime. no, uh, felony murder is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, but oh, so the other thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about faith. Um, glasses looks very goth. She looks like what you think of when you're like, oh, troubled girl at school. And she was talking about how she OD'd, and they narcaned her friends narcaned her and oh, left her. Yeah, and they didn't call anyone and stuff. I couldn't remember who you were talking about, but yeah, I do remember that. And I, and I feel like that's something that every addict has to contend with once they realize that none of these people are your friends. Not really. They are. Well, they're incapable as are you incapable of being a friend to them. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's a two way thing. You know what I mean? Like, and I think what hurts so much in that situation is like, you are like, I wouldn't have done that, but you also kind of know you would have. You absolutely would have. You will tell yourself there are things you wouldn't do, but then you do them. That's it. You do, you say I'm not going to steal grandma's stuff, but you do it. Yeah, I remember a treatment they called them the YETS, and one guy had an acronym for it, but I can't remember what it was. But like basically everything was just a YET. Like every bottom line, you had the absolute like rock bottom behavior you would never do. Like if you spend enough time using, like you will do it. It's just a YET. Yeah. Like my mom sober would never steal from me. My mom, um, not sober stole from me. Yeah. Absolutely stole from me. And, uh, like it's possible. I mean, that but, girl's lucky she got Narcan. She's lucky that her friends had Narcan on them. Yeah. And she's lucky they had Narcan and weren't scared to stay and Narcan her because, yeah. you know, you get that fight or flight and what if they just run off and they had the Narcan on them. Mm-hmm. She's lucky she'd die in there. This kid I knew in Florida. Well, I didn't really know him. A lot of people I knew knew him and he popped up missing. This was like early in me being in Florida. And it, they ended up finding his body, this is so gross, and his body in a trash can. <gasps> and what they were pretty sure, he wasn't even murdered. He just like died of an OD at the house and they were all so fucked up. This is when people were doing, um, yeah, it so. wasn't bath salts, but I can't remember what they were calling it. Oh, it was something that I had never even heard of before I came to Florida, but it made people crazy. Was um, it K2 or K12 or something? That was like the fake weed. It was kind. It was something that was similar to that, like crocodile or something. I can't remember exactly oh what God. it was called, but they just put his body in a trash can because yeah. they like, they were so fucked up and they didn't know what else to do. So they just put his body in a trash can and it took them a while to find, but he wasn't murdered. You know, like, like when they found the body, everyone was like, oh, but there was no gunshots. Like they could, you know what I mean? They didn't like, autopsy. When they did the, yeah, when they like did they autopsy, knew sorry. he wasn't murdered. And I guess it came out. I remember it coming out that they just were really, really fucked up 
and put him in a trash can, his dead body. And I'm sure those people, if you had asked them, like back when they were, yeah, yeah, would you, like if your friend died, would you just throw them out the window into a dumpster? They'd be like, no, why would I do that? But I mean, like I said, you never know what you won't fucking do until you end up doing it. Um, So I, so this four part series, I liked it. Mm -hmm. I know people are asking, is the season two coming back? Um, I don't. I would be interested in the production company going to another recovery high school and doing a, the same series but a different version, and maybe find a recovery high school that is um that's maybe As run differently. People? Yeah, well, black. Well, I don't know if there are recovery high schools with black people. I doubt if we're it. being if we're being like, yeah, you know, I would like that. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I'm always like, where's the black version of this show? Like, yeah, yeah I would like that, but. I would be pretty surprised if there was a black recovery high school or a recovery high school that had a predominant amount of black kids. Um, mm. So that's fucked up. But because black people do get addicted to opiates too. Like, but it's not the, they're not the face of it because if they were, no one would care about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Literally just read about the crack epidemic. Exactly. Um, which they did not call an epidemic at the time in that way. But there There, are, like, I was in rehab with a couple black people that were addicted to, that were heroin addicts. Like, there are black heroin addicts, but they don't get any of the same treatment and, like, reception that the rest of the people do. They're at state-funded shithole treatment centers for the most part. What, Jade and XD talk about all the time how there is a generation of people of black children who do not have parents because of crack. Yeah. Like an entire yeah, Jay-Z generation. Jay-Z talks a lot about that. That's like Jay-Z's whole thing. If you listen to his early music, like there's a lot of talk about that because he's that exact like late 40s. Mm-hmm. That like they were born from like I th- people born from like 72 to 80. Yeah. Just like didn't have parents. Like whole projects of kids. Yeah. Didn't have parents. Raised by Big Mama. It's all, it's so sad. So yeah, I would, I would like to see that because I would love to see more mainstream media covering black people in recovery and going through the system and the disparities and also not just the disparities, but represent, (laughs) I know this sounds crazy (laughs) for like, I'm talking about addiction, but representation matters for everything. And that's part of the reason I thought the show was so important because I want teens to see this. You know what I mean? Like teens that are addicts to be like, yeah, that's how I feel. And I believe that black Drug and alcohol addicts deserve yeah, representation. To, representation, just like the white people get. Yeah, so, um, I would like that. Know, but I would like them to go. Sorry, let me just finish this. I'd like them to go to like there because there are more of these. Maybe one that's run a little stricter, or maybe by like some. There didn't seem to be a ton of professionals at this school, so I would like. No, I would like one that has more of a structured program just for comparison. I think that would be very interesting. Oh, and I need to remember this thought because. Uh, Leslie and Joni, you know, Leslie and Joni, yes. our favorite lesbians. Joni's aunt is the woman that sh- told Sean that she wants him to visit her in the nursing home. <gasps> I know. What? I know. Isn't that crazy? It, which is one, when, when you real, when, she, when I, I lost it at that moment, cause I knew he was going to die. 
And when she says to him, like, I just want you to visit me at the nursing home. Aren't you going to visit me at the nursing home? And he was like, like, yeah, of course. I was like, oh, he's dot Like, he's dead. Like, I already knew at that moment he was dying. I was like, that is the saddest fucking thing in the world. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. Joni's aunt. So, that's a fun fact. Hi, Joni. Wow. Baby Cleo is so precious. Love oh, her. the most I know. Precious. Did you see those glamour shots? Oh, you need to- They went to the mall and got glamour shots done <gasps> with Cleo. Oh, I'll, I'll screenshot them and send them to you since you're yes, not on social don't media. Make me go on Instagram. It's the funniest thing ever. They're oh so funny goodness. and cute, but, uh, so, oh, I wanted to say that. So yeah, I would like a season two, but with a different type of program, because I think we should be showcasing all of these programs because I think, I think in general, these recovery high schools are fucking amazing. Right there. And she says mainstreams, the, the main concept of school is for the masses, right? Yeah. That's why they, almost everything they do at school from, having three lunch periods to like hall passes is meant for people who can. Okay. Yeah, which is why having a learning disability is so fucking hard. <laughs> That's why. And, and, and that means that if you have a learning disability, you have trauma, you have all yeah. this Anything that it doesn't puts work. you off norm. Especially, <laughs> especially if you're like me or probably a lot of these kids where you're actually you're not normal, but you're also not special ed enough to like get the heightened resources yes. and the concentrated resources. I deal that's with that why all I was, the time. That's why I was so like behind in schools because I had, was in a school with 30 kids in my class and I, I went to an, you know what I mean? Like I lived in a nice, a school, nice school district, yeah. um, but like an elementary school and, but I wasn't special ed. But I also yeah. wasn't allowed, like, really, really bad kid. I talked a lot. <laughs> Shocking. But I wasn't, like, a kid that threw a chair. You know what I mean? So I didn't yeah. get attention that way. So I just, like, totally slipped through the cracks because I wasn't bad enough or, like, fucked up enough. It's not fair to call kids with special needs fucked up. But you know what I'm saying. Like, my Squeaky issues. Will. Yeah, my issues were not big enough for people to notice until I was, like, 10. Also, you are kind of a mover and a shaker, if I can say that. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, smart. A char- like, I a can, charmer. Like, you're I not- can talk. I yeah, can... and so I can see people giving you passes for certain things because you're like, girl, I, I was up well, last night because I had to go to softball practice or whatever. And I think I got decent elementary school grades until I didn't. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. it was- I think it's hard if you are not like severely behind in third grade. I think it's hard to tell a third grader that's like, oh, now I'm starting to slip. In kindergarten, first and second, I was like pretty on course. Third grade, I'm starting to slip. They're not giving you real grades either. Yeah. Fourth grade, I'm really slipping. (laughs) And then by fifth grade, it's like time to be looking for private schools because she can't go to the public middle school. Like, I think it's like that. And so I would imagine a lot of these kids are in that position too, where they're just their fault they fall through the cracks of the regular system mm-hmm. i just went through a marathon of ieps um i had five ieps and like i have so many ieps which are individual education plans for kids who have um special needs of some sort i have so many that the iep coordinator for the district knows my name and whenever we go on she's like this is my favorite parent and i'm like <laughs> only because you see me so much <laughs> but but that's one of the things I have to fight with every year is that a lot of my kids are borderline. And if I let you take away their accommodations, they get further and further behind. Yeah. And the accommodations or the special ed teacher that comes and does the accommodations is always like, 
he is really on track and he could do this and he's only this far behind. I'm like, yeah, but it's also the beginning of the school year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and he hasn't had an outburst yet. He, yeah. yeah. And also, and, and thank God, I don't have any behavioral plans this year. Everyone is doing so well, has done so well in the last school year that I don't have not, because an IEP can also be a behavioral plan, which mm-hmm. means what are we going to do if this happens? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah. They're doing I mean, it's well. good the school plans for that. Yeah. But to, but they'll say things like, I we need to reduce this time. And I have to fight for it and mm-hmm. say, listen, one of the things I do with my kids all summer is they have drills. For, so like they really know their multiplication tables and they are practicing their math and they do read every day. And that's why they're still here at the beginning of the school year. But as they move into new territory, you are going to see them slip behind. And it's going to be very easy, especially for my well-behaved kid, for you to be like, everything's fine. And it's going to be really easy for my special child for you to be like, well, that's a behavioral thing. It's going to be really easy for you to lose them because, and then I have this sweet seven-year-old who everyone adores, but the thing is she has a problem counting and you are letting it go because of, because she's such a sweetheart. And my nine-year-old, he is, he's, I mean, he might as well be in that movie problem child and I adore him, but he is so charismatic that I have had issues with teachers not reporting issues to me and me finding out nine weeks later that he hasn't done one slick of fucking homework and you have been letting him slide because he's got a great smile and he does and he is funny and he loves to hug but he's got to do his fucking homework. Yeah. And imagine having all of these issues. Also, you have to work two jobs. You have six other kids that you can't afford. You yourself have barely graduated high school. Like, (laughs) and I'm not like, like, I feel like I know my kids really well. I spend a lot of time just observing them and being around them. And like, let's say I don't have that luxury, right? Yeah. That's such a privilege that you worked from home and that like for, for such a long period in their life. Yeah. And so let's say I don't know this about him. Yeah. And so I don't know. I let's say that I also don't know how school works because every at the beginning of every school year, as soon as I find who the teacher is, I write a two paragraph letter to them telling them who I am and telling them about my child and Mm -hmm. then asking them and telling them what to do if this happens Mm -hmm. and giving them like I reach out to them. And so what if I didn't know I could do that? (laughs) Yeah. It's that simple. A lot of people don't, wouldn't even know how to start that. Yeah. And so the, but it's, it's all like, I wish I do spend a lot of time with foster and adoptive mothers, but I do wish I could like, what I wish I could do is spend more time with mothers who don't have the resources I have to be like, you know what? You can get a half, like a five milligram melatonin. <laughs> if you yeah. give that to them, like 30 minutes before they go to bed they're going to be out. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to. And so you don't have to give them NyQuil because that's against the law. And you don't have to do any of this other stuff. Like, I wish I could like almost teach classes to say, this is how you interact with a teacher to get what you need from them and also be respectful. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting to me about being in grad school, and this is at a grad school level, like some of the the email, like I have this one person in one of my classes, not totally positive which one, she just sends out emails and will be like, what's the assignment for class? And I'm like, what class? Like we are like, it's, 
And I'm like, oh, this is at a grad school level. And like, no one has taught her how to write a professional email. And I'm pretty sure I know who it is. And this is a woman, actually, she had a baby at 13 and had to stop school. And now she's getting her graduate, her MSW, which is incredible. Like she's in her (laughs) forties, but she told, she had a, she had a baby at 13 and she said, I had to stop school. I don't, I'm not sure how she got from A to B, but it's fucking incredible. But I'm not disparaging her, but at the same time, it's like things that I think are so simple because I write professional emails every day at work, like are things that people don't know. Yeah. Like a mentor thing that could be like, that you could talk to them and say, this is how you do this. Mm-hmm. Like things that they I, don't even know to ask. Because yeah, because the thing is, that's why mentorship is so important, right? Because mm-hmm. people who they get that tiny bit of information that they need to move forward to that. Yeah. I need to talk to my caseworker about that. I would love to like start a mentorship program for people with less resources so that I can be like, okay, so what's the problem? This is the problem. Okay. I'm going to tell you how to, I'm going to tell you how to get that credit. I'm going to tell you how to do so-and-so because this is who you call. And yeah. because who knows? Um, I don't know. I'm talking about that. Oh, okay. So 16 and recovering part, the second season, I too would like to see it at a different place because I think if it's at the same place, if you do it too many times at the same place, you start to get, it's you mom. Yeah, you don't get the same stuff because yeah. the reactions, because we are now, we're the school that's on 16 exactly. and recovering. But remember, they got unprecedented access. Mm-hmm. Oh, Liz, unprecedented. Make me think of something. How do you think these kids are doing during COVID? I mean, I, oh, oh, I can tell you, overdose rates are way up. Oh, wow. They're way up. Just Google COVID overdoses. They're up, 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 up. It's so hard to get into treatment. When you get into treatment, you have to quarantine in treatment. Um, they're doing Zoom meetings in treatment because they can't bring meetings in. It's a fucking mess. It's a mess. And just thinking about how they couldn't, like, that was a four-day weekend that they were having issues about with Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. They can't do in-person learning. Oh, God. They can't do in-person learning. Michelle, see, it's part of the thing, like, throughout this whole thing, Every person that was talking to them, like they'd just be in the hallway and they'd be like, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. And they just get them by themselves to talk. And like, it's really hard when someone's nice to you and you're having a hard time. It's really hard to lie to them. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you're admitting, yeah, I've been cutting myself. Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. that. But you can't, it's not how Zoom works. So no, uh, just uh, Ohio in May had their highest overdose month in a decade. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about these working yeah, class Zoom families. Learning. I mean, do these kids might not even be doing Zoom learnings? A lot of them might not have internet at home. Gosh. Yeah, I, you know, every time that, I feel like at least twice a year, someone is like, why do we even have libraries? We don't need libraries. I'm like, bitch, not everybody has internet. Not every, like, when you don't have the internet, where do you go to apply for a job? human right. Honestly, the the government should have to pay for cell phones and internet for everybody. They won't. They don't even want to pay for COVID testing. Remember Obama phones when people used to say that? Yeah. I was just thinking, like, how many resources, like, all the libraries where I'm at are closed. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're still doing pickups and drop, like, I, you know. Yeah, you can get books. Yeah, and when I go and do my pickups, they always add crafts for my kids. Oh, also, how do you bag. even order the books if you don't have internet? Yeah, how do you order the books if you don't have internet? You just call up there. Do you, and how then do you they have to run there? through the, the book titles? 
kids. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so, I, the libraries being closed is such a big deal, especially as we hit into winter. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get warm in libraries. In Chicago, I look, so when I work from home, sometimes I would like to leave and I'd go to the library and I'd be sitting there working next to someone looking at porn because this is the only place you yeah. can be. <laughs> and that's just how it is. Um, because it's cold outside. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really worried about the libraries. But thinking about these kids during COVID, if five days away from that school and that structure, I bet March was horrible for all of them. I, March was probably really bad and April is probably worse. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that school might not even be open right now. It might like, not it be. Might not have, and she only had 50 kids. Remember she said that she had 75 at her highest. Yeah, I would like to know more about the funding for that school. Me too. I want to know. About I'm, the but in a way, I'm kind of. I wish they would do one more episode where they get into the details of like what the actual what academics are like, <laughs> like what the detail, like the brass tacks that like adult me once. But I, at the same time, I think it was good the way they did it, and it's like fine they didn't include that stuff. Well, the audience is not us, Liz. No, <laughs> you're trying the to audience. be teenagers who don't care about funding if. And if they're credited and how many days and like, the school what is Michelle's, go. what is Michelle's professional background? Yeah. <laughs> well, she don't... does say at one point that she could go be a superintendent or principal somewhere. So she so has, I'm, ass- I'm assuming that she has some sort of higher education degree and she has experience. Cause she's like, I could go, I think she even says superintendent, which makes me think she's been in like admin, like school admin for a while would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So when it comes to season two, I'd like to see that. Um, also, remember, I don't know if this is, okay. You know, teen mom is credited, even though I don't know if this is necessarily true, with the drop in teen pregnancy. Yeah, I'm going to write an article about how that's not true. But yeah, causation going. isn't, cor- like correlation sure. isn't causation. There's one study that I saw someone link to the other day. So I actually read through the study and it's so bunk. They based it off of like Twitter and Google searches and areas where the episode was airing. But remember, this is based on data from 2008 to 2009. And I'm like, okay, but Twitter didn't, really exist before 2008 like nobody was on twitter before 2008 so what are you comparing these numbers to i know like yeah so the study that says says it every year with such confidence the study (laughs) that says there's actual uh causation there not just correlation is to me it doesn't it doesn't prove anything yeah but i can i know that people are hoping that seeing something like this open and honest on tv will help with addiction rates i don't know um, um but i don't think it will i don't think it will help with addiction rates but i do think it's important for people to see their stories reflected in the media regardless of if they help or not you know what i mean yeah. i don't think i don't think it's necessarily i don't think if you look at it from like does this help anything is the right view i think the idea of I wonder if I watched this show when I was 16, if I would be, have been able to identify with these kids and maybe not admit I was a drug addict or be like, I'm going to go get help now, like at 16. (laughs) But I do wonder if it could have planted a seed because there's not a lot of like, the only other programming I feel like about teen drug addicts is like scared straight type shit. You know what I mean? Like really bad, like And it's not about there being drug addict it's about 
people being mad at them for being drug yeah, addicts. Yeah, and being bad kids. And a lot of these kids are like very relatable. And when they're talking about their depression and that uh-huh. stuff, like I feel like at 16, I would have really related to them. I don't think I would have, it would have been like a mustard seed. You know what I mean? Like, I think these are yeah. important for planting seeds. Just like people listen to this podcast. I know because people tell me, they DM me and say, listening to your podcast made me realize that I was in an abusive relationship. Listening to your podcast made me realize that I was drinking too much, X, Y, Z, right? And they're like, you helped me get sober. It's like, I didn't, but what I did was I planted a seed that you weren't getting anywhere else. And like, that's the important part. And anywhere that we can plant seeds, I think that's the important part. So I don't think the outcome should be on like, success and rights and that type of shit. But if that show can plant a seed in five teens heads that wouldn't have gotten that information for 10 more years, like that's really good. Well, a lot of the work people do in these types of field, you're not going to get a one-to-one ROI. You're, you're going to get like, you're not going to be able to say, and look, these are the numbers for the success. It's more about planting a seed and um, showing up in their, media and in their feeds that's what it's about Mm -hmm. but i am thinking about like so let's say 16 and becomes a big brand okay Okay. they're bringing back 16 and pregnant they got 16 in recovery they start doing seasons of that what other 16 ands do you think you want to see like for me i'd love to see 16 and fat i mean don't call it yeah so this is a really good question and literally as soon as you said it i thought is that just true life like, it is true life, but like what you want, like, I know, but I get what you're saying. Well, you saying. get a season like, for it, not yeah, yeah. just one episode. I like, I think that's a really good question. I agree. Like 16 and fat could have been interesting. 16 and poor with a better yeah. title, like 16 and food insecure, 16 and house housing insecure. Could 16 be, and, and, and in prison. 16 in prison would be ama- like, amazing, but very interesting. I mean, imagine how interesting it would be to follow like two 16 year olds for a year that are living out of motels. You know what I mean? Like in the education that could be, I agree. What we're really saying is that we would like extended seasons of true life, like like multiple episodes of true life. Cause what we just described are all true life episodes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I agree. I would like to see that. So all of those situations, but then also like, I mean like 16, I would like to see privilege stuff too like I think there's a lot of opportunity there to do four episodes on things that so very much like true life just something you had no idea about but true life is short it's an hour long like if they could do four episodes yeah exactly they could do four episodes with like I mean 16 and famous would be awesome god 16 like if you followed a youtuber who's 16 and just follow them about their lives and stuff that would as long as they get that charlie from tiktok who's made 19 billion dollars in the last (laughs) year and went from nobody knew her to 100 million followers in one year yeah that'd be interesting as fuck to get a full year if she let you well she wouldn't but like if i could have anything i would like to see like a a fly on a big brother house version of that yeah yeah i agree i think it would be i would like those youtube houses don't I know they make videos there. You know, I don't know, like, yeah, about the shit. a TikTok house, sure, sure. A TikTok house. How come they don't do stuff like feeds, like Big Brother? Is it because... Um, so I think... I wonder if some of them do on Twitch, but maybe not... Well, no, the reason they don't do that is because they, like, do drugs and drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that, that's the reason why. Like, there's this one you 
Tana that I watch. Like, I remember once I was Is watching- Is that Mojo? Live. Yeah, Tana okay. Mojo. Once I was watching an Instagram live of hers for some reason, I rarely watch Instagram lives, and someone walks in, two people walk in the room at separate times, and she goes, I'm on live. Like, as <laughs> soon as they walk into the room, because, like, these are all drug addicts, or not drug addicts, but teenagers who have a ton of money and no adult supervision. They're partying. Yeah, that's another thing I was thinking about this, like- it's so interesting about who becomes an addict and who just has a couple of years of living yeah. hard. You know, yeah. like, like I had a couple of years where I drank a lot. I certainly drove drunk. I certainly was oh, out. Isn't all- that so scary to think about now that you would never, ever, 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 ever <laughs> drive drunk? Just the idea that you did that because I feel the same way. Thinking about times when I left work extremely tired from bartending or something. Had after my your friends. three shift drinks, yeah, yeah, and then don't remember how I got home. Was just at home. Mm-hmm. I cannot. And at the time, it just seemed like, what am I gonna do? Leave my car here? Like, yeah. it's no, literally, crazy. it's like, well, there are no cabs. Like, yeah. I don't have. A, I was if like, I, I don't have a choice. A cab, my car's right here. Yeah, like it. And then what it, will I do tomorrow? I won't be able to get here. Yeah, exactly. Like it was, I I definitely had, I had years where I was drinking a lot. And now I, I text you a friend, like the first friend that came (laughs) over. one quarter of a beer. No, I had, (laughs) I had three beers and I was like, I feel like I was blackout. Yeah. The next morning, (laughs) I think my podcast didn't think you were texting me. And I was like, I don't even know where I am. I had three (laughs) beers, two and a half beers, but right up to three. I am dead. <laughs> You're just like, I mean, yeah. obviously. I mean, there are people that I know that partied and not just party, but like used drugs like I did mm-hmm. that did not turn out the way that I did. Now, some of them I think are just functioning better in life and who knows what they'll look like at 50. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like some of my hard drinking friends, like the way that they're still drinking, I'm like, how much Coke are they doing? Like I, well, right. I know they're doing a lot of Coke because we did Coke together and I saw how much Coke they needed to do to drink that much when we were 24. And so now that we're in our early thirties, I would imagine they need even more Coke would be my guess to drink this much. Like the Vanderpump kids. Exactly. I definitely have a group of friends. that's like that. So we'll see what happens when they're like 50. You know what I mean? But then there are a lot of them that we they did drugs like I did and partied like I did. And then at like 28, like got married and then they had a kid and they're like they're totally like, normal. I don't feel like doing that anymore. And it yeah. just was easy. They just one day was just like, my money needs to go somewhere else. Yeah, we're really not even one day. Work. It's like you go from going out five days a week, then three, then two, then you haven't gone out in two weeks, then a month. And then within a year, you're just like a total different person. Yeah. And so how unfair that must feel when you're like 16 and already here and like you're, you're on Instagram and your friends are out and they're doing the thing and, and their lives have not spiraled out of control into rehab. They're, you know, they're just, yeah. Yeah. Must be rough. Must be rough. Princess, do you want to plug your podcast that I'm such a big fan of? I love every episode. No, that sounds so crazy. I do love every episode of your podcast and I am really excited for the next series that you're doing. So plug, plug away, Princess Jones Curtis. Okay. So guys, I have a podcast. It's called Buy Pumpkin. Um, it comes out every Sunday. We are on, we're about to head into season five. So on the 11th of October, we will start The Real L Word. 
Um, it's just really a niche dissection of old reality TV shows. And I love The Real L Word so much that when I was like looking to stream it, I was like, oh, fuck, I bought this. <laughs> Don't you love that? When you realize you bought a show like eight years ago and you're like, sick. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I think it's going to be a good palate cleanser because I just got off of um, Girls Next Door. I agree and- because growing up Gotti, Girls Next Door, they're very set up reality sitcom type of shows from a mm-hmm. certain era in yep. real world l world real l word is very different this is very like the sh- when showtime was just doing softcore por- porn that had like real storylines in it like that's mm-hmm. what that was during this time that's when poly married and dating was on yeah and i'm also like excited to do a show where there are no men Ugh, there God are no men it. god bless it and so i'm excited to do that i also have a patreon attached to it you can go to patreon.com at uh, backslash by pumpkin and that's where i do weekly episodes there i'm doing recapping hogan knows best starting um next week and like i'm gonna talk about all of that shit including when linda started dating a high schooler and when nick, nick killed, killed that someone. kid nick killed that kid and nick went Hogan's to word tape that came out that ended up taking down the gawker empire it took down the, the gawker <laughs> who it knew that hogan knows best media. would one day take down my favorite media site <laughs> it changed it changed the way we do online media to us like tmz won't even push sometimes now it did you know? i mean via like an evil crazy I mean, fascist guy but it did sure sure, sure. yeah <laughs> and i'm gonna get into those things also all of the pretense of watching this very set up like <laughs> very set up that was a very i remember like even at the time being like this is so fake yeah it was super fake it really was a launch uh singing career and remember I'm when she talk- would sing for scott storch <laughs> yeah she had those and she also had those grills remember when oh my god um fuck what is his name he's a texas white rapper rapper oh bubba sparks yeah and <laughs> but I'm going to go through that. I'm also going to get to talk about wrestling, which I talk about sometimes, even, which is like one of the, like, if you know me, the last thing you would think I would be talking to you about is fucking wrestling. I talk about wrestling a lot in my real life. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be super fun. You guys should listen. I'm going to have Liz on. I don't know when, but we're going to have Liz on. I have Troy coming on for a couple of things. I don't usually have a lot of guests because I, I just took a job like an idiot. And so I have to like prioritize. And I also have like a ton of kids. This is new job, Liz. I have had to introduce myself to people. They'll be like, so what are you doing? How many kids do you have? And I'll be like, 50, 11. I have a yeah, lot of kids. You're like, you're like, <laughs> I mean, do we want to get into it? Like, yeah, do you, you don't want to know all this about me. Like, I, oh, some of them are black. Like, yeah. It's like a whole thing. And I have these two <laughs> little white Latino toddlers <laughs> who are very angry at me right now because they keep changing their avatars to black people. And when I change it back, they're like, but we want to be black. I saw a TikTok the other day with a black mom and a white daughter that I was going to send to you, but then I like forgot to download it, but I laughed. <laughs> I was like, it's princess. It was, it's a lot. They're very upset with me. Um, I actually took them to Bucky's and Bucky's is like, it's not, what's the place I miss all the time? It's not Wawa. It's not. Okay. Wawa is situated throughout the place where they have Wawa's. Like Correct. you might have four Everywhere. Wawa's in the area. Absolutely. 
Bucky's is mostly on highways, so it's like it's like lo- to, like a truck stop, right? Like loves truck stop. It's kind of like a truck stop, but it's like it has like two hundred pumps, yeah, and it has the cleanest bathrooms in the area, and they make a bunch of shit in there, like candied pecans. Oh, cool! And like they make the best roast beef sandwiches, and they oh. have these candies I can only get there. So I was in San Antonio taking my stepkid home. The I other see day. what you mean by it being Wawa-ish because you actually want to buy food there. Is what you mean? Yes, you want to buy <laughs> yeah. food there. It's a convenience store that you're like you go there to buy food, which is yeah. not not just, not just like oh, I'm on the run, like I can get this. Like some days I'm like, oh, I just want I want this from Wawa, and I like specifically go there to get exactly. It. I miss yeah. Wawa terribly, but. Um, so we're, we have to drive past the Bucky's and some of the little kids hadn't been there yet. And so we're walking through this Bucky's and I just had this, I was like, wait, do I have all my kids? <laughs> and I'm looking around. I'm like, stop moving. I'm trying to count. And I was missing a child. So, oh my God. <laughs> so, and it's super fucking busy and shit. And they pay their employees really well. Like they make 16 bucks an hour just to be just a cashier. Like, wow, so. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I do have, like, I was just like, guys, I have so many kids. But that's one of the reasons why I don't have a lot of guests on. But, and even Kara and I were talking, because I'm really jealous of some of the guests. I was like, Kara, you got some good guests. And she's like, you could too. And I was like, oh, I don't you really just have to. Guests. You, I mean, I got Smokey Glow the YouTuber just by DMing her. Just I saying, really do you want to come on? Wasn't that so good? Ugh, yeah, so I good. think, I, I don't know who she is, but I'm going to subscribe because I think you're going to be in one of her videos. <laughs> I, think, I, think. I don't think so but what? if she starts doing a podcast again i'll be on her podcast i don't i don't think i would be on her but we uh, did get along very well and i'm like you got along really real well friends liz. now <laughs> liz if you guys like lived in a place where you guys could meet up know, in a texas roadhouse you would be i know oh, i believe so nice. you're gonna be in one of her videos she was so generous with her time like i try not to plug my patreon so much on here because i just know it's obnoxious but like there's been maybe five episodes on Patreon that I just am so proud of and I think are so amazing and worth listening. The rest I really like, but like five that I'm like, I need people to hear this and the Smoky Glow is definitely one of them. It's just- You might be in her wedding. I was thinking about it. I was like, she, not in the wedding, but you might go. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just telling you what I felt in my gut listening to it. I love that. That's so good. Okay, princess, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this sad ass show with me. As I predicted, thank you for being so nice. Why I cried. This is why I wanted you to be on because I couldn't have somebody that would start crying when I cried. That would have been a mess. It was very much like, oh, wow, she's crying. Okay. This is what I mean. I don't cry like that normally on the podcast. Like, this really makes me cry. Not like I I tear up. Like, this makes me cry, cry. I know, but it, I mean, you're not wasting your tears. It was a sad thing. It's not like you cry at the drop of a bag. It's some real shit. All right, princess. I love you very much. Bye, Liz. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.